Yes, it's Styrofoam Packing Peanut Monthly on Pie Factory Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. So yeah, I went to the doctor and I had this this gigantic boil under my knee. Uh, you remember me mentioning that from the last episode. Why, of course. And he was going to lance it and then... Uh, then I said, hey, we already talked about Joust. <laughs> oh. oh, he didn't get it and he threw me out. Cheeky little know. devil. But, oh, we're, we're recording. <laughs> Did, do you really think our listeners buy that? Because they know we're the ones that are pressing the record button because we don't have anybody in our homes to do it for us. Or do we? Um. Hey everybody, welcome to another fantabulous episode of the Pie Factory Podcast. Um, I actually got a promotion, as you might know oh? from the last episode, I was demoted to the factory farm in Mazan, but uh, they got a little shorthanded what, with, uh, with our, uh, our aggressive expansion program, and uh, they shuffled me off to oversee the construction of our new pie factory office in the town of verona illinois so that's exciting so i'll have a clientele of maybe half a person on average so uh that's going to be quite exciting so yeah i'm going to be uh coming up recording from verona illinois uh in my office there so what department would that be they never told me. They're saying you don't need to know oh i i i don't get it so i hey who am i to uh to mess with guido hey by the way who are you um i i don't know we're not doing the who joke again we've no, already done that yeah once. that yeah we don't we don't repeat jokes ever 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 here on pie factory podcast never i i don't know who i am i'm some dude named sean um who are you i don't know but i woke up in a soho doorway did a policeman ask your name he knew my name he said mm. i could get up and go home if i could stuff get up and walk away yeah oh, it's a new year it is 2016 whoop de commence the fanfare we are happy kings as part of our happy kingdom i uh, just wanted to give out a few shout outs first of all to the super podcast brothers um they recently uh, posted a link to our show uh when they went on hiatus for the holiday season uh, and they did talk about us in episode 23 of their show. So you might want to give them a listen to uh, Be Warned. Um, their early episodes are decent time-wise. Their later ones can go four and five hours. So, you know, for whatever it's worth. That's kind of like ours, except for the decent part. Well, yeah, that's true. But uh, so you might want to check them out. Uh, they, got a, they got a good show going. They got a nice uh, rapport, as, if you will. And I will. And um, they... Uh, they're body. They are just, just so body over there. So if you like body um, people that have a good rapport, uh, you might uh, might like these super podcast bros. Link in the show notes? Uh, link in the show notes. Let's and, see if we uh, actually do that this time. Yeah, see if we actually put a link in show notes, or actually write show notes. And um, thanks to everybody who gave us feedback about our our little special announcement that we had at the beginning of the year. It's, oh, it was right. quite the scoop to uh, to uncover that uh, that long lost advertisement. Um, it took a lot of hard work. 
<laughs> and uh, there will be a link in the show notes to what this is all about. <laughs> yeah, we apologize for springing that all on you without warning. Uh, it was just that urgent of an announcement. Uh, we hope we didn't scare anybody, make you think we were actually continuing with the podcast, which, uh, oh, we actually are. <laughs> well, we are now, yeah. but we weren't then. No, not but then. Yes. We were, but, yeah. But uh, yes, yeah, so that was that was an exciting and exciting announcement. Twice, twice. And uh, want to uh, want to thank uh, people that have endorsed us over the years. Uh, the guys over at the ColecoVisions podcast, uh, Entire Visions, uh, of course, Phil and Ferg, um, uh, Soul Blazer from the SNES podcast. Uh, you know what? We've got so many friends. I can't I can't really announce them all by name because I don't remember everybody's name. Well, I can add uh, John Boat of Car Schaller and Aaron Dowdy over at the Amigos podcast. Thanks for your support, yeah. guys. And I did uh, listen to the episode you were on. I was never uh, I was never an Amiga user, so it didn't really it didn't mean a thing to you. It's it's okay. I've heard that before. And uh, there does need to be an, and you are an Amiga uh, owner and uh, fanboy. Um, I was an Atari ST owner and fanboy, and I've noticed there's a distinct lack of Atari ST podcasts out there. And if I didn't have a full plate, I would do an Atari ST podcast, but I'm not going to do it. So there's a little hit right there. Um, I also want to thank the guys over at Genesis Gems, and I want to thank uh, George and I can't remember the co-host's name over at the uh, Master System Masterpieces. Ah, yes. George has been a pretty good guy, and uh, if you like the Sega Master System, which I was a huge fan of that system, I wish wish I had never gotten rid of it, but, you know, sometimes you got to pay rent, so you might want to check them out. And um, then there are... No quarter again. Oh, Mike McGinnis and... Yeah, Mike... Well, actually, we've we've had support from, like, three guys from... Uh, actually, four guys, if you count uh, someone who was no longer part of No Quarter by the time we started. Uh, thank you to uh, Mike McGinnis and Carrington Vanston and Rob O'Hara and Jeff Prescott. Uh, all, all you guys have really been good to us, so thank thank you so much. I can't... I, I have a horrible problem with my memory, and I don't... If I forget to mention somebody, don't be offended by it. That is uh, an issue I have struggled with for quite some time. It is a symptom of my ADD. I'm not making excuses. I'm just letting everybody know that, you know, what's up with that? What's up with that? Honestly, there's way, way so many people we could be thanking on here. But and, we won't. Um, but, uh, but we won't because we're bastards. No, yeah. it's because, <laughs> well, yeah, I guess, well, no, we know, do know how our, who our dads are, so we're not bastards. Well, we should also but, send a thanks uh, to the Lambert family up at uh, Underground Retrocade, uh, Scott yeah, and Sue, mm-hmm. and everybody else who have been really good to us, uh, Doc Mac at um, Galloping Ghost Arcade. Oh, and by the way, I've just I started listening to uh, to the Galloping Ghost podcast. I still not haven't done that yet. I get, okay, uh, yeah, i got to add that to my podcasts. Uh, it's a, I like it. It's a good podcast. It's mostly about stuff that goes on at the Galloping Ghost Arcade, as you can imagine. But it's it's really good and interesting. I will make, give them give one criticism. Uh, the volume could be a little louder on it, but then again, there, I, there's a lot of podcasts like that. So if that's the only if that's the only quibble, you know, then you know you know you got a good show going on there because I can't complain about anything else really. I like to complain at least according to my wife. And also thanks to Jerry Buckner for. Uh for his oh, contributions, certainly. of course, Jerry mm-hmm. Buckner of Buckner and Garcia. Those of you who uh, don't recognize that name, um, you know what we should do is we should try to get him on the show oh, for a yeah, longer we interview. 
We should. Because uh, he's, he's, he's a fascinating interview. Oh, yeah. Uh, we do have some interviews lined up, by the way. We are currently working on some, some uh, fairly decent interviews uh, coming up. And um, a couple of them have already responded back. We just need to get things moving in the right direction. So uh, stay tuned for that. Mm. And uh, I want to say one other thing here. I, is that pretty much everybody we need to uh, to thank that we can recall off the tops it's of our heads? Probably or? not everybody. Um, yeah, as I said, I mean, I, I've got not only do I have a horrible memory, but there's some there's just so many people uh, out there that have made. We're not, well, we're not even really at our first year. I think our first year starts what in March? Yeah, eight, March, April ish. In that neighborhood, so that will be uh, that will be our one year anniversary. But. Uh, you know, turning into 2016 and having gone this long, um, I, I just want to thank all of our listeners for uh, for the uh, for the awesome feedback we've gotten yes, and the thank awesome you both. support. Yes, <laughs> thanks, but thank you and you, not you, 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 you. Eh, I guess I'll thank you, and eh, what the hell? I'll thank you over there too. So all of you, you know, thanks for you know getting us to 2016. Uh, in a somewhat relatively sane state, uh, emphasis on relatively. One other thing I wanted to mention, I recently placed an order with Ed Ladin. Ah! Don't have a whole ton of money, so I got the uh, the Ed Ladin, what was it, the uh, Seagull 78 adapter, which allows you to plug your um, Sega Genesis controller into the Atari 7800. Got one myself not too long ago. You got one of those also? Yeah, I use it with the Sega Sports Pad Trackball. Uh, I thought the uh, Ed, the seventy eight adapter was only for the Sega Genesis controllers. It does also work with the Sega Sports Pad, and as far as I know, that's the only Master System controller it actually works with. And I use it to play Centipede on the seventy eight hundred. Because I've always wanted to get um, get that when I had my Sega Master System. Yeah, oh, somebody didn't hear episode 21 of our podcast, which I distinctly mentioned that. I need to, uh, I, I had a Sega Master System, and I had a choice of either getting the sports pad or saving up a little bit more and get the 3D glasses, and I got the 3D glasses for the Master System, which turns out was an awesome investment. Dude, those, those the, the 3D glasses on the Sega Master System really kicked ass, and the the first game that I got, with it was a game called uh, 3D Missile Defense, and it was kind of it was in, I, I would ha- I would have to say it was inspired by Missile Command at least the theme because it was um, missiles attacking cities, but the uh, it wasn't like Missile Command where you had a base and you shot them down. Uh, it was a light gun game. It was uh, the 3D glasses in combination with the light gun, and that game was so freaking sweet. Oh gosh, that was an awesome game, and I really wish I had it again because it just kicked, it kicked ass. Um, Ten ways to Sunday, and um, wow, what a great great game that was. One other announcement I want to make is I'm going back through the old episodes, and I'm going to and I'm recording our scores uh, that we've rated all of the games that we've had, and um, that uh, hopefully we'll get something up on the website where we'll we'll just add our you know addend our scores if you will yes to the show notes and actually I've only got three episodes I have to uh, get the numbers for now that I look at it and looking at the the preliminary numbers you've given uh, more fives than I think you realize I yeah I was looking at that earlier actually it's like we both gave a lot of fives out really. And I was looking at it, and so far, I've only got uh, episodes 9, 10, and 11 to take care of. 
But uh, episode eight, where we talked about Joust and Mario Brothers, and uh, episode 20, where we talked about Tapper and Food Fight, we both gave each game five stars. Oh, I'm sorry, continues. Or in the case of Tapper, five beers. So um, I think uh, that was uh, that was interesting. There was only one other episode where we gave each game the same number of continues, and that was actually 19, where we both gave each game four continues. And what about episode 14? I gave Dragon's Lair a two. The thing is, I gave Dragon's Lair that rating, and I had never actually played it. I had only seen it. I, I wasn't going to waste my money on that game. I finally played Oh, that's played right. It. And on Narc Developers Night, you actually played yes. Dragon's Lair for the first time? Yeah. And didn't I say, can I go back and change my rating to one continue? Let's do that right now. Yeah. Yeah, let's do that. So those of you who listened to episode... In fact, those of you who didn't and did listen to episode 14, spoiler alert, um, I'm rating Dragon's Lair a one continue. And we actually one. agreed on the number of continues for e- for the games there, albeit they weren't the same number straight across. We both gave Dragon's Lair a one, and we both gave Time Pilot a four. I got to play more Time Pilot. That's a great game. So... With all of that, do we have anything that needs to addend or errate? Well, uh, let's see. Um, I've been catching you off guard with that lately, haven't I? Yeah. There's one thing I want to errate. First off, I don't. I think we got maybe one piece of feedback from episode 21. With uh, where we had Phil the No Swear Gamer on talking about the Atari 7800. Mm-hmm. That actually doesn't surprise me at all. It really doesn't, considering, number one, it was the holidays. And I think the holidays are a pretty dead time in the podcasting world all across the board. Mm-hmm. And second of all, not many people can relate to the Atari 7800. True. I mean, especially among our listeners. But one thing I do have to say, for those of you who heard it or who will hear it, once we began actually talking about the Atari 7800, I want you all to realize the sound effects that are in that episode all come from the Atari 7800. All of them. And that's kind of very important because there's one game in particular that we talk about, we drop some sound effects in. It is not from the arcade game, it is from the 7800 home version. And that is? Froggy. A homebrew version of Frogger. Mm -hmm. And that used used the Tia sound chip, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Not that one. No, I think that one was a Pokey. Oh, that was a Pokey. And a clarification, what game did Bob DiCrescenzo give you uh, back uh, during yes, the time you didn't yes, have a job? Yes, 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 yes. That was Pac-Man Plus. It was not the full I Pac-Man collection. So. Uh, for some reason, I don't know why I was thinking it was the the, uh, the uh, early version of the Pac-Man collection, but it was indeed Pac-Man Plus. Um, but I'll tell you what, even if I had bought it and paid 30, 40 bucks for it, it, was st- it would have still been worth it. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you, everybody go out and if you have an Atari 7800, get Bob D. Crescenzo's Pac-Man collection. That is probably the best value cartridge for the Atari 7800. There's so much crammed into that cartridge. Um, I got a better one. Oh? There is the Bob D. Crescenzo collection 30th anniversary cartridge, which includes Pac-Man collection and several other of his games. It It was a limited edition release a couple of years ago. I never heard of this one. But yeah, it has uh, Scramble, it has Pac-Man Collection, um, it has Space Invaders, but there's a bug in one of the one of the variations on Space Invaders uh-huh. only on that cartridge. 
um, that's not on the standalone version of the cartridge. So but it's not available anymore. So I, was, I don't I believe would... so. No, it was a very limited edition. I think they only made like either thirty or a hundred. I don't remember. Pac-Man collection for the Atari seventy-eight hundred is your best value yes. game cartridge for the seventy-eight hundred. In that case. Yeah, so it definitely I, I, get. I hate that to up. say, it, but I actually do prefer that standalone version of Pac-Man Plus that you have to the version that's in Pac-Man Collection. Oh. I think I like. I think it, the sounds are a little less harsh. Oh, okay. Well, I'd have to play the Pac-Man Collection again. It's been a while since I've been. Uh, oh yeah. Since I've uh, since I've played that one. I do have another. I don't know if this is an addendum or an arrive. I don't. It, it's more of a clarification. I think it's more of a "Where the heck have you been?" kind of thing. Oh. We were talking about the uh, Galloping Ghost Arcade Achievement book that that was printed for the winter season. Yes. And we were talking about how one of the achievements is to visit Game Grid, an arcade yes. in Utah. Yes, yes. We've, yeah. uh, we had some clarification on that recently, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, we did. There's a reason that they singled out that particular arcade. It turns out that um, Adam Pratt, who is the owner of Game Grid, is uh, good friends with Doc Mack at um, um, Galloping Ghost. And Adam Pratt also is in charge of the Arcade Heroes website. That's arcadeheroes.com. He also wrote the book, The Arcade Experience. Ah. We will put a link to that in the show notes. Do we have anything else to addend or errat? Any news or um, updates? I don't know if there's any news. Um, there is some feedback that uh, I want to address here. Alrighty, let's go for it. One of them is actually... To the day that we're recording this, two months old, so I apologize. Um, uh, this feedback comes from somebody named simply Day, D-A-Y. It was actually on the uh, WordPress blog that powers the podcast. Uh-huh. Uh, we, we, we don't check that. We hardly ever check the thing because basically the WordPress uh, site only exists to power the podcast. So I, I apologize that we've been off the ball on that. But uh, Anyway, Day says... Hi there, guys. Just listened to episode 17, and I had to say, please, please, please don't take notice of some people's idiotic comments about what you're doing on your podcast. I think they're referring to the Classic Arcade Gaming mm-hmm. website. Uh, I've been a longtime listener and love the podcast, so please don't feel you have to change anything. Well, I don't think we have to change anything. Um, <laughs> well, my socks, maybe. They're getting yeah, a little, we'll talk. They're yeah, getting a which, little by the way, I, I forgot to mention my message for the world for 2016. I posted this on Facebook, but not many of you listeners are Facebook friends with me, so you might not have seen it. My message for the world, for my message to the world for for 2016, take a shower every day. Uh, please use soap as well. Or as frequently as you need to, whichever is more frequent. So, there we go. Okay. Um, anyway. I guess my message for the world for 2016 is... I can't die. My snooze alarm still works. So I will make a note of that. I'm sure you will. Anyway, Day says, um, I do think some people in the retro community believe you have to know everything about games, the creators, publishers, who who it was licensed to, all the technical deal details. They seem to forget that games are meant to be fun. Mm-hmm. There are thousands of arcade games released in many different countries, and nobody has played them all. Uh, this, this person sadly doesn't use any punctuation. It's hard to find the sentences. <laughs> um, there's, there's always something new to try. As for not knowing Phoenix was an arcade game, I only found out the same thing about Jungle Hunt the other week, despite being one of my favorite 2600 games. Oh, I'm guessing Day is from, uh, 
uh, England or Canada because you oh, misspelled okay. favorite, F-A-V-O-U-R-I-T-E. Um, Fave hour, right? If I might, real quick here, uh, also uh, thanks to the guys over at 10 Pence Arcade yes, uh, podcast in the UK. They've mentioned us quite a few times as well. Yeah, yeah, God bless them over there. Um, uh, it would be interesting to hear if anyone else has had the experience. That is like uh, uh, having a favorite home console game and then uh, realizing that it once was an arcade game. <laughs> um, keep up the good work looking. As we've mentioned before, the early 2600 titles were oh, pretty yeah. much all arcade games, and none of us knew it because there was really no arcade scene at the time. Right. Um, that And I was like three years old at the time, so I didn't go out of the arcades yet. Combat was Tank Plus in the arcade. Uh, was it Tank Plus or just Tank? It was It was one of those. Kaboom was Avalanche. Stuff like that. I'm they not necessarily the same games, but definitely inspired by them. But some of them, like yeah. Combat, were an arcade game. Yeah, Outlaw and uh, Night Driver were arcade games. Oh, especially Night Driver. I never knew Night Driver was an arcade game when I first got it for the 2600. Yeah, Dodgem was, uh, was based on a game called Head On. Circus Atari was based on Circus. Yeah, there was a lot of that stuff. But uh, anyway, Day, Day simply says, keep up the good work. Looking forward to the next episode. Many thanks. As I and always say, keep up you, the Day. good Thank work. You. Don't we have to start doing good work first? <laughs> good thing we never repeat things on this show. Yeah, no, we never repeat things Good in the show. Good thing we don't repeat things in this show. No, we never repeat things in this show. And you know what? We realized we never really commented on Chris Plus Plus's uh, audio submission. No, uh, we didn't. Um, I mean, I'll be I'll be quite honest. I didn't really have much to say in response. It's like okay, no, not really. Cool. We, I, we didn't really have I didn't really have a whole lot to say in response to it either. I did uh, send him a private message uh, apologizing for our oversight and addressing it. But um, well, one thing I do have to say, I do disagree in his harsh judgment of the Intellivision Ladybug. I don't think it was that bad. I actually looked at it and I was like, you know, this isn't really bad. Yeah, I, I, I don't worse. have any experience with playing it, but I don't think it looks half bad. Nah. Uh, I mean, he did make a great point. And I think I briefly touched on it when we talked about Ladybug, about the Ladybug actually sticking on the walls when you try to do a corner, but I didn't do it in terms of the gameplay. I did it in terms of the uh, the high score screen. But yes, um, and, and for that reason alone, I would say that the 2600 version of Ladybug is, I would say, graphically it's not better than the arcade, but I think it plays better than the arcade because it does not hang up on the, you know, on the corners like it does in the arcade and all the other versions. So... You know, take that for whatever whatever you want. <laughs> oh, and uh, in your voice uh, voice message, Chris, uh, thanks for putting me first. Checks in the mail, um, and that's checks party mix, by the way. You know, so you're gonna get some of that. You know, that stuff ships good, especially in media mail envelope. Oh, mm. They usually Jeez, use that stuff to like for stuffing when they send packages out. Mmm, stuffing. Kind of like you see those those uh, those packing peanuts. They're not styrofoam, but they're actually made out of cornstarch. And if you put one in your mouth after you know after it's been taken out of the 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 dirty dusty box, it uh, actually melt and you can eat them. And speaking of uh, audio submissions, uh, Chris Plus Plus sent us that audio submission when we were put a, we put out a call out for um, yes people to send their arcade memories in, and we've been asked a couple of times, uh, "Where's that arcade memories episode?" Well, yes. We realized while well, we're doing we were doing the uh, 7800 episode and did we really want to follow up with yet another like off theme episode right away and we figured you know what why don't we make that just an ongoing feature 
at any time, if you have an arcade memory you wish to share, yeah. just reach out to us. You can uh, send it to us to our email address, piefactory at fab4it.com. Uh, you can send us an audio submission and you can tweet us at piefactorypfp. Uh, you can reach us on Facebook and um, yeah. Do we have, don't we have one we can play? Uh, I think we do. I think we have one from Ferg actually. Okay. So, you know, we need a theme for this, and I've been thinking about it. So, <clears throat> here we go. Memory all alone in my inbox. It's an MP3 format. You are listening now. There we go. <clears throat> hey, guys. It's Ferg from the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast, and I am talking today about my favorite arcade gaming memory. Uh, I could not think of what my first one was. I have no idea. Uh, I listen to a lot of classic gaming podcasts, and a lot of people know a lot of exact things, and I do not, unfortunately. Um, like their first game, I know you guys talk a lot about where you, the first place where you played it, the exact place. I know some of them, but I don't know all of them, and I don't know the first one for sure. But this one's my favorite one, and I am actually able to give you a, an exact date because of some cues that I'll get into. So... October 23rd, 1983, I was with my family and we were at the baking convention in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Uh, the reason that I know that it was October 23rd is because that was the day that Jessica Savage passed away. She died in a car accident and I was 13 years old and I kind of had the hots for Jessica Savage at the time. And I heard about it the next day at breakfast and this was after what I'm going to describe happened. Uh, also that breakfast was the first time I ever had eggs Benedict, which are, oh my gosh, eggs Benedict are the best thing ever, especially if you make your own, uh, hollandaise sauce from scratch. Oh man. So good. But anyway, uh, here's a pro tip for you. If you go to a bakery convention, do not eat breakfast right before you go to a bakery convention because you're going to eat a lot. When I was 13, it didn't matter, but my wife and I went to a convention in the two thousands and we ate breakfast beforehand. And we were very, very sorry that we did that. Anyway, back to October 23rd, 1983. So the bakery convention is at uh, Caesars in Atlantic City. I think maybe my dad told me beforehand or I found out when I got there. But Caesars had an arcade called the Electric Company Arcade. And I was hoping that I would be able to go there. So what was happening was uh, my sister and my parents stayed in another room. And my grandfather also went with us. And I stayed in a room with him. And I had my own room key and I was 13 years old and that was awesome. I had a room key to my own hotel room, which was great. So after uh, the events, uh, I think we had dinner and then there was maybe something to do with the convention after dinner. And then my dad gave me 20 bucks and he said, go to the arcade. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to the arcade. <laughs> this was back when you could do stuff like that. And they just sent me off to the arcade in the hotel. No problem. So I just come back when you're done and go into the room. This is the greatest day of my life up to that point. So I went to the arcade and it was the classic type of thing where they had the, um, uh, the glass doors like at a supermarket and you open up the doors and you get hit with that noise. Uh, I think uh, No Quarter Podcast plays it at the beginning. I can't remember the guy who did it, but he did a couple of uh, arcade ambiance uh, uh, MP3s, which are really cool. And that's exactly what it was like when I opened up that door. 
Now, one of my favorite games at that point was Food Fight. And I had been playing Food Fight at the drug fair locally. I was able to walk there. It was pretty far away from the house, but my parents let me walk there again. It's 1983. You could pretty much go wherever the hell you wanted, whenever you wanted when you were a kid. Well, not whenever, but some kids did, but I didn't do that. <laughs> so I made a beeline for Food Fight because that was my favorite game. And I had 20 bucks, so I kept playing Food Fight and playing Food Fight and playing Food Fight. And I think up to that point, I don't think I got anywhere past uh, like maybe 40000 at the drug fair because I didn't have a lot of money then. But this was I think this was the first time I had 20 bucks at an arcade. Now, that's if I go to an arcade now, like when I went to Crabtown, I just put my $20 in the quarter machine and got all the quarters out. And, of course, I did more after that. But that was a, a novelty for me back then. I know I've heard Sean talk about that he only got a dollar – um, allowance and you can only do four games at a time. This was like King's Ransom at that point. I was already working, so I had money, but having extra money on top of that was awesome. So I kept playing Food Fight and I had a really good game and I managed to get over 100,000 points. I think it was like 120,000 points or something. And I got, I was in the zone and oh, it was the best game I ever had. I don't think I've beat that score to this day. I remember when I went to Fun Spot, they had it there, and I tried and tried to get higher than 120,000, but I could not do it. That's my personal best. I think I've beat it on the 7800, but it's different. By the time I got done playing uh, all the $20 worth of, of video games, it was well after midnight. I was amazed that they didn't come and get me. They didn't say, "Hey, it's past midnight. You gotta go. Gotta go to bed." It was it was awesome. It was continually continuing to be the best day of my life. <laughs> So I had my hotel room key. I took my hotel room key. It was actual key back then, <laughs> not a card. So I went back to the room. My grandfather was already asleep. Put my key in the lock, opened up the door, got in the bed, and it was the best day of my life up to that point. Got my high score in food fight. Got to stay out past 12 o'clock. I had my own room in a hotel in Atlantic City. It was the best. So thanks for letting me tell that. I think I did tell it before maybe on Phil's show, but uh, I did remember since then the um, electric company, that the name of the arcade was the electric company, and I was able to find the date and everything. So thank you guys for doing the podcast. I love, the, I love your show. It's really awesome. I know that I think I mentioned this on Atari Age that we as podcasters tend to downplay ourselves, but you guys are doing a great job, and I really appreciate it. And I hope to hear a lot more from you in the future. So thanks, guys. Uh, if this is before Christmas, I hope you have a Merry Christmas or whatever it is that you celebrate. And uh, if it's New Year's Eve, Happy New Year, and uh, looking forward to more episodes. Well, thanks for that, Ferg. I can't speak for Sean, but uh, I don't celebrate Christmas. I really? celebrate National Aluminum Siding Month. So, you know, if you guys got any uh, gutters or, or nails or uh, pieces of aluminum siding itself, uh, you can send it, you know, my way, and uh, I won't... I. Uh, I will accept the gift with joy. So, at any rate, baking convention, huh? And your grandfather gave you 20 bucks to go to the electric company arcade and you played Food Fight. And I bet you rose to the occasion. <laughs> I kill myself. <laughs> oh, but that joke was the icing on the cake. Oh, God. <laughs> God, I'm good at this. Oh, boy. How many more baking puns can I get in here, huh? Oh, boy. At any rate. So, uh, your family are bakers, though, so you must be a flower child. Ah! <laughs>
<laughs> oh, at any rate, so thanks for your submission, Ferg. I totally enjoyed it, and uh, I'm glad that you love the show. Oh, yeah. um, as far as I'm, I don't, I don't love your show. Um, me, me, and your show are just friends, and I think that's all it's going to be. Your show friend zoned me. So, ah, so Sean, what say ye? Well, I have to admit, kind of embarrassingly, I had to look up Jessica Savage because really? when I first heard that name and Ferg said, well, I remember that day because that's when Jessica Savage died. I was like, oh, I thought maybe it was someone he went to school with or something. Hmm. <laughs> uh, but then I thought, wait a minute, why would that lead to a happy memory? So I had to look it up. Yep. Yeah, those of you who don't know, Jessica Savage not Savage, by the way, um, is, which is what I first looked up, mm -hmm. was a, uh, a reporter from yeah. uh, back in the Ferg, as it were, literally. <laughs> I never had such luck where my dad would hand me 20 bucks and say, here, play some games. And not only that, but my mother, God, to this day, my mother's overprotective of me, and I'm 41 <laughs> years old. But around that time, when I was like eight or nine years old, no, there was no way in hell that uh, my dad dad would ever give me $20 in a place we're not familiar with and say, here, play video games as long as you want. My mother would have killed him. <laughs> but I realize it's going to take a while, so I apologize for for kind of diverting attention away from Ferg. But uh, I do remember once uh, at the time we went to uh, to Disney World, you know, we went to, we, we were in Florida. We arrived in Florida. We drove there. Mm -hmm. We spent the first day hanging around St. Augustine. Then we went down to uh, Orlando, where we had our motel room. The very next day, we went to uh, Disney World, specifically the Magic Kingdom. And then we went to SeaWorld the next day. And when we got back to the motel after SeaWorld, you know, my folks were talking about how we were going to be going back home the next day. And I was like, you're kidding me. Are you, wh why are we going home already? We just got here. Yeah. And the Epcot Center had just opened. I was like, why can't we go to the Epcot Center? And then they gave me some kind of hemming and hawing. And they're like, oh, what else are we going to do? We're just going to go home. And I was really upset. I think to kind of like help alleviate things, like after we had dinner that night, my dad took me uh, to the arcade that was at the, at the motel mm -hmm. and uh, let me play some games there. So I think that was kind of the closest I can, uh, I can kind of get to what Ferg uh, talked about there. Because, yeah, as he mentioned, $1 was my allowance typically at an arcade. And at Aladdin's Castle, that would give you four games. And to me, it was the most awesome time in the world if, say, I found a token on the floor at the arcade. Because, you know, my dad would let me play if, uh, basically, he would only give me a dollar. But if I found a loose token or if my brother had a leftover token he wasn't going to use, then I would get to play. And he'd be okay with that. But, you yeah. know... That was the closest I ever got to uh, twenty dollars. I don't know if you, if I ever mentioned this to you, Jim, but where the Kroger used to be in Bourbon A, mm -hmm. in that same little shopping center, it's hardly a shopping center. It was like two or three businesses besides Kroger. There was an arcade that opened up that was there for a couple of years. It was called Stargaze. That's what I heard. I was there once, and it it was uh, the weekend of my brother's nineteenth birthday. We had uh, family over and everything. And a few days later, he was going to be going into the army. So it was kind of a farewell thing for him, too. And uh, a lot of family was over. And uh, that day, he decided he wanted to go to Stargaze. So a lot of us went over, mainly the kids. My brother, my cousins, and me. I think a couple of his friends, too. And uh, that was the one time I ever went to an actual arcade. 
uh, a standalone arcade outside of Aladdin's castle under my parents' you know, watch, really. Uh, what was cool about Stargaze was you got, I think, six tokens for a dollar there. And they were really fancy tokens. They were slotted, if I remember correctly. But that was the one time I ever went to an arcade that wasn't Aladdin's castle at the Lincoln Mall or some other kind of mall. But yeah, Ferg, thanks for, for telling us that story. And and yeah, I only really recently learned that Ferg's history in the baking industry goes back pretty much his whole life. So yeah, I, I love how we get to get a little bit of uh, insight about uh, about Ferg and his life. So Ferg, thanks for uh, for sharing that with us. All right, so with all of that, um, are we done with news announcements, announcements, addenda, errata, pancake recipes, radiocarbon dating of fossils? I believe I believe we're done with that. Awesome. Well, that's the show for today. Goodbye, everybody. Oh, wait a minute. No, we haven't talked about the games yet, have we? What games? Let's go on with Rally X. What do you say? Let's get a little driving under our belt here. Ah, uh, Rally X. Released November uh, 1980. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, I was going to... Uh, I used to do, ah, uh, you know, whatever in the game name, but... Yeah, I can't do it, though, because it's not Talk Like a Pirate Month. As a new Rally X, matey. But I guess I can't do that now, can I? Seeing as uh, it's January. No. No. Right. No. Uh, Rally no. X. Ever. Never? Never, ever? ever. Oh, so I can't? Oh. And I can't really say, ah, uh, Rally X, either, because that's like your line. So I'm going to say, E Rally X. Released November 1980, about six months after Pac-Man. Yay! And who made it? Oh, funny you should ask. <laughs> uh, Namco. I has a funny. Oh, that is Namco. A, it's Namco. And the thing is, I found there are a lot of similarities between uh, Rally X and Pac-Man when you think about it. And dare I say, even Pac-N-Pal, even though Pac-N-Pal wouldn't be around for another three years. Well, I mean, you, you've got a thing. In this case, it's a race car going around a maze trying to collect flags. Whereas in Pac-Man, you're trying to eat dots. And you're being chased. And you're being chased. Now, there are far fewer flags. I believe there's like 10 per maze, something like that. And, you, well, you just got to go through the maze and collect them. Um, you have cars chasing you. The thing is, is the screen is so big that you have to have a... It's The screen scrolls when you move the car around. And then you have a radar on the right-hand side of the screen to help show you the location of the cars that are chasing you. Um, on top of that... One of the flags is a bonus flag. You get however many bonus points when you pick it up. And you do have a fuel gauge on the right-hand side of the screen. Now, if you run out of fuel, you don't stop. You slow down. You do have a weapon at your disposal, and that is you have smoke screens. Now, you hit a button on the console, and you'll release a smoke screen, and it'll cause the enemy cars when they run into it to spin. Uh, That's kind of similar to Pack and Pal. Really? I, I, you know what? My experience with Packet Pal is very, very limited. So I can't. That's how you defend yourself against the monsters. You hit the button and something happens. Like he'll either emit a really annoying sound, or I, I think at one of the levels he actually emits a smoke screen, too. I, I'll have to play that. I didn't realize there was a button in Packet Pal, so I'll have yeah. to try that again. You also have a fuel gauge on the right hand side of the screen above the radar on Rally X. And the radar, or the fuel gauge, if that goes all the way to empty, well, first of all, when, this, when the level ends, you get bonus points for however much fuel you have. When the fuel runs out, you slow down, and you do not have use of your smoke screens anymore, which makes it a lot easier for the enemy cars to 
crash into you. There's only two ways to lose the game, by crashing into an enemy or crashing into boulders that are placed around the screen, and boulders do not show up on the radar. One interesting thing about it is, well, like Pac-Man, if you push the joystick in a direction, it'll keep going. Unlike Pac-Man, when you hit the edge of a maze, in Pac-Man, Pac-Man stops. In this one, you will turn a direction. I don't know if it's um, a set direction, like if you... Uh, hit a flat wall at a T-intersection if you'll always turn left or if you'll turn right or if it's random. But uh, you will turn. You do not stop. And you have to keep an eye on the screen to make sure you don't run into any boulders. And the biggest thing with this game that you will lose a lot of lives on is not paying attention to the radar. Oh, yeah. Every third level of this game is a bonus round where all of the enemy cars are stopped. It's called the challenging stage. It's the challenging stage. One thing I did forget to mention about the smoke screens. The smoke screens stop the enemy cars, but they do not make it to where you can drive through them. You will still crash into them. Oh, really? Yes, I tested that out this afternoon because I was curious about that because I'd never tried that before. And you will lose a life if you run into a stunned enemy car, so keep that in mind. What about the smokescreen itself, if you just run into the plain old smokescreen? If you just run, you can drive right through the smokescreen. Oh, okay. Yes, right. but if you if you cannot run into an enemy car that was stunned by the smokescreen. One other thing with the game uh, that I was going to mention, you mentioned the challenging stages. That happens at stage three, and then I believe every fourth stage thereafter. The maze does change. It's a different maze. I was testing. I uh, put on some cheats just to see how I could see uh, future screens, see if the maze did change, and the maze does change. One thing I really hate about the first maze, and you play that for the first two rounds until the challenging stage, is there is a part in the top right of the uh, of the radar. Oh, and the radar only shows you the position of the enemy cars. It does not show you... Um, I'm sorry, it shows you the enemy cars, and it shows you where the flags are. It does not show you the rocks, and it does not show you the layout of the maze. So keep that in mind. Any Something that could look straight ahead of you, straight north of you, on the radar, you might have to make several turns to get to it, even though it is directly above you. So you got to watch that, too. And it could run you right into one of the enemy cars. Once again... Always pay attention to the radar. But one, as I was saying, there's one thing I hate about the first maze, and I haven't really gone too far into the game uh, to see some of the other mazes to see how they are laid out. In the upper right of the first maze, there's one area. It is a loop, and there's only one entrance. One way to get in and out of it. It's just one oh, yeah. corridor. If there's a flag in there and you're being chased really closely by the enemy cars, you are not going to get out of that corner alive unless it is the very last flag and even then you only have a chance of getting it and getting out of there or chance of getting it so that's something you really got to watch out for and that's early in the game that it has that i kind of kind of hate that <laughs> but um that's the uh the basics of the game now have you played the game sean oh yes i have and what say ye about it well, first of all, I just want to backtrack on a, on a few things that you had mentioned. Uh, regarding the special flag, yes. what that does is it doubles the points you get for every flag for the rest of the level or until ah. you crash, whichever comes first. And that includes the value of whatever the flag is. Like if it's like the first flag you grab is normally 100 points. Mm -hmm. Well, if the first flag you grab is a special flag, you actually get 200 points. Ooh. And then... 
400 for the next, 600 for the next, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Basically, uh, the most you can get in points from flags is 11,000 points at a single level. One other thing about the radar, and uh, thank you for mentioning the, uh, the, the special flag. You're quite welcome, I'm sure. The radar does not uh, let you know which one of the flags is the special flag, by the way. They just all look the same. So special flag, if you run into it, you run into it. But you have to get all of the flags. And I generally just try to go for whatever's closest to me. I would probably say to start the game out too, if you see one, a flag in the upper right-hand corner of the, of, the, of the screen, try to get that one first when uh, you have uh, a bit of lead time against the enemy cars. The enemy cars don't leave right away, and I believe they leave one by one. I don't think they all go at the same time. So if you see one up there, get that first. And if you see any south of your starting location on the radar, south of, or in the area of the uh, enemy cars, get those last because otherwise you could get ganged up uh, by the enemy cars pretty easily. Uh, that's just what I do. Oh. Yeah, I'm better than you. Ha! I'm going to backtrack to your original question. Uh, My original question. Have you ever played this game? And the answer is, why, yes, I have. I have played why, yes? it. Um, the first time I played it, my first time playing this was March 15th, 2014. Uh-huh. And where would that be? Um, At Underground Retrocade, of all places, believe of it Of all not. places. And the thing is, I never saw this game when I was a little tyke. They just didn't have it at uh, Aladdin's Castle or they anywhere else. They didn't have it at games. arcades. And this is a game which I call the laundromat game. Every <laughs> laundromat had, way back in the Ferg, like one or two arcade games for the kids. And the only times back then, I never saw Rayleigh X in an arcade. And I never saw it in a convenience store. But I always saw it in laundromats whenever we were on vacation. We would go in there and we would, you know, do our laundry. What? Well, mom and dad would do laundry. I'm a kid. You think I'm going to do laundry? Well, we would put money in either Space Invaders or Rally X. And it seemed like those two games, to me, were always paired up for some reason in laundromats. Uh, now, I did see Space Invaders other places, so that's not a laundromat game. But Rally X was clearly a laundromat game. <laughs> well, that's the problem right there. I never went to laundromats when I was a little kid because I, my parents always had a washer and dryer in the house. And the sad thing is, is, I think I know why this game was in more places like that than in more arcades because the cabinet and the marquee and everything is just kind of bland looking. It's, it's not, I mean, it's a color, the game itself is colorful, but other than that, the visual presentation is, let's be honest, the, everything about the game is just kind of blah. I mean, it's not saying it's a bad game, but it, it just does not have that much in the way of, I, I think, you know, presentation from the cabinet to the game itself. Yeah, it, it, there there isn't anything really snazzy about anything in the game, really. Even the, no. gra I mean, the graphics are okay. The but, graphics mm, work. They're serviceable, but that's about that, it. Yeah, that's a, good, that's a good way to describe it. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, as for my first time playing it, I, the very first time I played it, I was at Underground RetroKid. It was shortly before I left and went home. I had never played Rally X. I was like, you know what? Let me try it out. I didn't read the instructions or anything. I had no idea what I was doing. And I ended up scoring 34,910. Wow. And then I tried it a second time after reading the instructions. And after I learned how to play it again, I was never again able to come anywhere near that score. Really? Uh, really? One thing with the game, um, the mazes are set you know, are set. There's, there's several different, uh, different mazes. The mazes don't randomize, but the locations of the flags and the boulders do. 
that has a lot to play with it. If it keeps putting a flag in that one portion in that one in the first maze that I keep talking about, that's going to affect your score. So there's a lot of randomness that does affect your uh, your score in this game. And as far as your score goes, I don't recall any of my scores over time. Uh, but in the last week or so, I've been playing the game, and the highest I was able to get was 34,680, by the way. Wow. Yeah. The one thing about the uh, the challenging stages, if you uh, hit one of the cars or the rock... Now, the cars are in the game. They just don't chase you. Okay, basically think Big Rigs, the original release of Big Rigs. Yes, mm-hmm, because the, tr- the, the enemy vehicles don't move, just like in Big Rigs. Uh, they don't move, but you can still crash into them. Uh, you can crash into the rocks still, and those are randomly placed around the screen, around the maze. Uh, and I believe if you run out of gas on the bonus screen that ends the uh, on the challenging stage, that ends the challenging stage. I have to double-check that, but I'm almost uh, positive that that is indeed the case with the challenging screen. Or as it says on the screen, the charanging screen. Charanging? Yeah, did you, you did you ever notice that? I didn't notice that. Yeah, it's and in I English. That sort of it thing. says charanging stage. C H A R A N G I N G. And I'm not going to do my my, uh, no, my offensive no, no, no. Uh, accent. Instead, I'm going to be offensive in other ways. Uh, Thank I, you. It's my goal to offend everybody on this. And in fact, I'm going to offend Phil right now by using a swear word. <clears throat> Poop. Okay, so, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, as I said, laundromat game. It's one of the games you saw in laundromats all over, and at least I did. I don't know about other people, but I've never seen it in an arcade. I don't recall seeing it in the arcade in Lincoln Mall, way nope. back in the Ferg. Uh, that was a huge arcade, though. Oh, that yeah. was actually about maybe twice the size of Galloping Ghost, at least Galloping what? Ghost as it was three months ago. It was huge. It was never that big, dude. It was huge. You're forgetting that. At one time, they had bumper cars in that arcade, actual real bumper cars that you could ride in. And once they got rid of the bumper cars, they filled that whole room with cocktail arcade machines. Yeah, I rem- I don't remember the bumper cars, but I definitely remember the, the cocktail table machines. But yeah, there's no way it was, it was anywhere near as big as Galloping Ghost. Oh, and by the way, um, our condolences to Lincoln Mall. They officially shut down uh, exactly... One year ago, as of the first of the year, they shut down entirely January 1st, 2015. So, RIP Lincoln Mall. Okay, even though the arcade has been long gone. Oh, yeah. It got to the point where it was, where it got to, it got to be the huge arcade that it was, and then it got progressively smaller. Yeah. And eventually, all it was was just basically one storefront with two rows of games, and they didn't even have any signage. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I would, I would, I would venture to guess that that was that was when it was in its heyday, the largest arcade in the Chicago area. There's, Archer there's no, was. there was no way it couldn't be. But I will go to my grave, urn, slab, whatever, saying that it's nowhere. It was never, never anywhere near Galloping Ghost. Well, probably not now because they're, if I'm not mistaken, they are well into construction uh, on the expansion of Galloping Ghost. But um, mm. size-wise, I want to think it was bigger than Galloping Ghost. It was. It was pretty big. It was, it was huge. Big, that's for sure. It was a small grande, as I like to say. Mm-hmm. But with that, is there anything more you really need to add about Rally X? I mean, it's, oh yeah. Uh, what more do you have to say about it? Going back to the scoring and the fuel bonus. Yes, I, I have not. I, w- I looked for information about that, like how, like what you get for a fuel bonus. I couldn't find it. But when I played it, I played it in Maine several times to prepare for the show. You know, over the past couple of weeks, 
And I tried pausing it and everything. The best I can tell is that your fuel bonus is basically 40 points for every tick of fuel that's left over. And the tick is basically one pixel wide. So you can rack up a pretty good fuel bonus in this game. And don't forget to always, uh, when you're out in the woods, to make sure you have some insect repellents on it on you because ticks do carry Lyme disease and Rocky Mountain spotted fever. So, or at least you know, carry be matches safe. with you and have some fun with them. Oh, yeah, that's true. You could do that, too. That's very true. And I know I'm backtracking again, but regarding the cars... Yes. I didn't see this documented anywhere, anywhere, um, but in the regular non-charanging stages, <laughs> you can actually pass right through the cars if they're parked. I didn't know that. Oh, you know what? Yeah, you can at the very, very beginning before yes. they start moving. After that, you can't pass through them at all. Yeah. Yeah. At the very beginning, but it's not something I recommend doing just out of principle because I have well, principles. Yeah. Um, oh, there was one other thing. Oh, one other thing. One thing I've noticed about it too. I have to say the animation when your car changes direction is actually quite neat because it does. It shows your all of the cars when they change direction. It actually shows them going through the curve. It just doesn't automatically with some games like like Pac Man. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't I go really just done. like automatically face up if you were moving you know to the right and then you push up. It actually has a kind of a cool little. It's, I've seen better animation, but it's still kind of cool to actually show the car turn. And if you push down on the joystick, uh, some games if you move in one direction and you push the opposite direction, it won't allow you to do that in Rally X, it actually shows your car turn completely around. Yeah. And I love that. I thought that was kind of a neat touch with the game. And it's not just your car, all of the cars, what they change direction. The enemy cars that are chasing you, those things can be tricky because they can turn around on a, a they can turn around abruptly. And so you really got to watch out for that as well. So, but the, the animation with that is and that's really the only animation in the game. But that's uh that's pretty cool. Uh, if you run into an enemy car or into one of the into one of the boulders, it shows a little explosion with the word bang on it. The one thing I have to say about this game, and this is something that they really got right with all of the machines from that era in the arcade, is the the rich bass sound of the explosion when your car hits something. Oh, yeah. That is, I love that. That is just an awesome sound. And every, every machine from back then did that. Uh, Donkey Kong had a great explosion sound when, uh, when, Mario hit a barrel. Uh, asteroids had a good uh, had good sound when you shot an asteroid. Any one of those games from that era that had a bang sound, it just had this real nice, rich uh, bass to it. And that was just so awesome. Both of the two big arcades in our area, Underground Retrocade and uh, Galloping Ghost, have Rally X, especially at Underground Retrocade. You can hear that boom. It is loud. Oh, yeah. One thing I do want to mention, normally we talk about home versions, and there have really been no, there are no versions of Rally X on the classic consoles. It has appeared in several plug-and-play units, and... Uh, and it was on the MSX computer. Well, it was on the MSX, but who had that in the United States, huh? Come on. Well, we uh, do have listeners um, outside of the United States, so we should uh, address them. But I'm Americocentric, because well, I I'm identify Sean. with Amerigo Vespucci, so there... I was uh, doing some uh, search. I was doing some browsing at Atari Age the other day, and I was looking through the twenty six hundred homebrew forum, and I actually found somebody who was in the process of homebrewing Rally X for the twenty six hundred, and it's a very respectable rendition of the game. 
And so uh, we'll post a link to that in the notes. I, sh- I gave you, I shared the link with you earlier, so you sh- we should still yep. have it. Yeah, I actually put it on my Harmony cart, and I played it. I played it for a while. It, it is a really good port. Obviously, it's not a final release yet. Uh, I believe he's still working on it. this. Was an older thread. Yeah, yeah. But something that I thought of when I was playing the uh, the twenty six hundred work in progress version was how close the graphics are to the arcade version. It just made me think. They didn't really put a lot of effort in the arcade version, did they? <laughs> no, they didn't. I mean, it does a few things that the Atari 2600 can't do, like the uh, the, the roads have like an, a black outline around it. Uh, you, you really can't do that on the 2600 without oh, yeah. some programming tricks. But for the most part, yeah, it's, it, as I said, Rally X from the cabinet all the way to the game itself is pretty blah and plain in its presentation. And correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't this game what Namco originally wanted to plug the heck out of to be like the classic game of all games? Well, you know what? I was uh, I was ended up in being researching Pac-Man instead. In researching this game, it came out at the same time as uh, Defender and some other games, and Namco was thinking this is going to be the game at the one uh, the one show that year when all those games came out, and. Defender sold 60,000 units after the show, and Rally X only had a fraction of that, which is probably another reason why you didn't see it very often, because I don't right. imagine it was a huge seller. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I, you put you give me Rally X and Defender, as much as Defender makes me so angry because it's impossible to score decently, <laughs> I will always go to Defender. Well, yeah, I mean, Defender is a... I can't believe we're, def- we're comparing Rally X and Defender, but... And it has to do with presentation. And Rally X just, it just fell flat on its face with presentation. That's, that's yeah. it. I mean, there's nothing more to say about that. I mean, it's it's not a bad game. No, it's not fun. at all. It's fun. But it just does not have the presentation. And as we're talking here, it just occurred to me about something. Uh, we had mentioned earlier uh, in the episode about how other early Atari 2600 games were ports uh, from the arcade. And you had brought up Dodgem was... Uh, Head on. Head on. Rally X is a souped-up version of Dodgem. If you think about it, it's pretty much the same game. I can kind of see that. I, can I mean, there's obviously it. some changes, but it is kind of the same thing. You're dodging cars, and you're collecting items in the maze. You do have a weapon at your disposal in the smoke screens, but it's kind of the same thing, uh, if you really think about it. Rally X is a souped-up version of Dodgem. Oh, and one more thing I wanted to say about the... Um 2600 uh, Rally X in progress, which I believe they're calling Rally right now. Yes. But that's looking pretty sharp. What really impressed me was how Ed Freeze, or is it Fries? Sorry, Ed, if I'm mispronouncing Mm, your name. Fries. But man, how you got that scrolling in all directions, that that impressed me. Scrolling in all directions is not an easy feat on the 2600. No. No, not at all. That's all I had to say about that. Brief lull in the conversation. (laughs) Um, According to the sources I found, Rally X allegedly is the first of only three games that Namco put out, which when you hit a million points, the score does not roll over. Really? The other two being New Rally X, the the sequel that came out to Rally X very shortly after Rally X came out, actually, and Bosconian. Apparently, those are the only three Namco games from uh, back then that did not have a score rolling at at a million points. And I I thought about this. Now, I believe after you score well enough, 
to enter your initials in the high score table, which I believe is 20,000 points. After you enter your initials, you get a message that says, Go for the world record now! Okay. I believe the Namco, uh, the Namco titled Dig Dug did that also. And I know really? Bosconian did that. Oh. I want to think Dig Dug did that. But just to put things into perspective, the world record, based yes. on the default dip switch settings, three lives, bonus life at 20,000 points. Steve Wagner has the Orcade.com world record uh, performed during BroFest 2015 at Fun Spot on May 30th of last year. He scored 120,160. Twin Galaxies gives the world record to Chris Ranala, which was verified a long time ago, December 28th, 1982. Now, that score is only 167,870. So my first thought was, of course the score doesn't roll when you get to a million, because nobody gets to a million. <laughs> so I'm thinking, that must be the loophole. But that must no, be. there actually is video of somebody getting a million. Uh, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Um and basically, the way he did it was using Mame and uh, uh, save states. But yeah, it. But yeah, I have definite. There's definite proof that yeah, it can hold seven digit scores. I don't know if anybody's tried to push to eight digits, but seven digits it definitely can handle. I mentioned earlier in the episode how I started listening to the Galloping Ghost podcast. Uh, their first episode, uh, they had an episode about Mame, and they're talking specifically about save states in use of pursuing uh, records. If you give their first episode a uh, listen to, I believe the title of the episode is Mame, Is It Lame? Uh, they have a really good discussion about that, so uh, give huh. that a listen to. So, speaking of which, we can't, we've we said several times in the in past episodes that we're going to do some kind of tutorial or something on how to set up Mame. I just got a brand new MacBook a couple of days ago, and I had uh, to do it all over again. I'm thinking, ooh, now that it's still fresh in my mind, I, so... What I just might be doing soon is doing a video tutorial on how to set up MAME on a Mac. Oh, there you so, go. Uh, so uh, it's, stay, it's really uh, obvious. It's not hard to actually set up, but getting all of the settings to your liking, on the other hand, yeah, that and especially be a because challenge. on a Mac you have on a Mac you have to do a couple of extra things. Partly because it's a Unix-based operating system, right? And partly because it requires a few more things that uh, Windows MAME doesn't require. But I, I think uh, I think we're uh, at this point ready to rate Rally X. I think so. So what say ye? I'm not terribly thrilled with Rally X. It, I mean, but I mean, it's a fine game, and I, I do definitely see myself playing it again. But I don't see myself spending a lot of time with it. I really don't. Mm-hmm. And I'll admit, part of it is that, like we were talking about overall, it's the presentation. It just doesn't. It's a really... very vanilla game. It's vanilla. Oh, wait. Uh, speaking of vanilla, is it me or do the flags actually are they animated when you zoom past them? I don't believe I, so. Okay. Oh, this and might actually, be... that's a uh, with a change with difference in color. Those flags have actually shown up in other Namco games. Uh, those in Xevious, uh, it shows up if you find one of the hidden flags. It's the same graphic, just a different color. I think but... it's in Pac-Land too, but I might be wrong. I'd have to check that. Uh, it's been a while since I've played Pac-Land, but I just something thought that looks the, like it. Throw in that Pac- out there. Pac-Land so you were saying about your rating? But yeah, my rating three continues. Yeah, if if it was a little bit more visually exciting from not even the cabinet, but if but if the game itself was more visually exciting, I would give it another continue. But as it is, it's a fun game, but it's just in a plain. I mean, oh, I do like the little jingle though. I don't like that it happens every time you crash though. Yeah, I can't fault the audio on this game. Um, no, no the I think the audio great. was perfect on this game. Yeah. 
the audio is perfect, the gameplay is perfect, the packaging and presentation otherwise is vanilla. And that's, you know, I have to give it a three as well. Then again, I don't I don't know if I like using that word vanilla to describe because vanilla is a flavor. It is not a default. I actually enjoy vanilla very much. So what would you call it? I would call it flavorless. Yeah, you know what? Yes. I, it's, uh-huh. I wouldn't say Riley X is flavorless, but I would say it has little flavor. There you go. So, but yeah, it's, I'll, I'll definitely play it. I still like it. I think it's a great game, but it's just not visually appealing. And I think that's no. why it didn't set the arcades on fire. No, you know, what did set the arcades on fire was, uh, was Sorry Charlie. Oh yes, it did, didn't it? <laughs> uh, couldn't resist that one. <laughs> well, you should have tried and tried harder. I think we should get into do some serious family counseling next um, because family counseling yes family counseling because there's a disconnect between Mr. Pac-Man Ms. Pac-Man and Junior Pac-Man which there was an arcade game called Baby Pac-Man which was a video game pinball hybrid which you don't see pretty much in the wild pretty much anymore I've been to two arcades that have it I always wondered if Baby Pac-Man grew up to become Junior Pac-Man was Baby Pac-Man Jr.? Well, I, I guess it could know. be because Baby could've Pac-Man been. came out in 1982. Junior Pac-Man came out um, on January 1st, 1983. So maybe he grew up to be Junior Pac-Man. But it's only a year. Yeah, it's only a year. Not even a year. Baby Pac-Man came out October 11th, 1982. But I'm saying, you know, well, you know, it can't be Junior Pac-Man because that's not enough time for him to grow up. You know what? We don't know what the life cycle is of a Pac-Man. Exactly. So it could very well be the same character, for all we know. Hell, by that time, Ms. Pac-Man could have been an old grandma, and Pac-Man could have lost all of his teeth and go, eh, what's that, Shunny? For all we know. So I think we should probably talk about the game instead of pontificating. Or should we pontificate more? I just wanted to use that word. It's my big word of the day. Pontificate. Look it up. Uh, So, yes, uh, Junior Pac-Man... Ms. Pac-Man was basically an upgrade of Pac-Man using the same board and, you know, other enhancements and whatever. We've already covered that. Junior Pac-Man takes the Ms. Pac-Man formula uh, to 11, as it were. It has several different upgrades. First of all, the most notable is the maze is larger. It's uh, actually two screens wide, and, you know, the maze scrolls around along with uh, with Junior Pac-Man. I, I want to dispute that. That maze looks closer to three times. I mean, all the sources say two times. It, also it looks like two, three but to me. It does, yeah, I, I will agree with you. It does look like three, but that could just be your starting position in yeah, the maze, too. It could be, could be. But every, all the sources I said saw said two, but no, I know exactly where you're coming from. The maze is huge. Es muy grande. I don't know why I keep saying that. Oh, because it's all the Spanish I know. Uh, <laughs> so that's the first... Uh, thing you'll notice. The second thing you'll notice is there are no tunnels going from one side of the maze to the other, so you can't wrap from one side to the other. Uh, and because the maze is huge, if you've lost, if you've, I'm sorry, if you've missed some dots way over on the right-hand side of the maze and you're way over on the left, you have to trudge all the way over there, uh, putting Junior Pac-Man in more danger than he would have been in Ms. Pac-Man or Pac-Man. The bigger the maze, the better the chance that you're going to be hit by a ghost. Now. And what are the ghosts' names? It's Inky, Pinky, Blinky, and Tim. <laughs> and Tim. Tim. Uh, yeah. Pac-Man was Inky, Pinky, Blinky, Clyde. Ms. Pac-Man was Inky, Pinky, Blinky, Sue. And in this one, it's Inky, Pinky, Blinky, and Tim. So, 
The uh, other, thi other thing you'll notice, I did say that there were no tunnels to get to the other side. However, there are more power pellets. I think there's six in each maze. There are six in the first five mazes, four in the, fifth, in the sixth and seventh mazes. Now, in Ms. Pac-Man, when the fruit came out, it would bounce around the maze and it would disappear by going out one of the tunnels. Now, how does it disappear in this one? Well... Three different ways. Three different ways? Yes. Okay. Well, uh, well, one is eating it, obviously. Duh. Yes. Uh, the other one is after it goes for a while, it can crash into a power pellet and destroy itself and the power pellet. So you could be down a power pellet and having never eaten it. But what's the third way? The third way is, let's say that there aren't any power pellets or energizers or mm. whatever they call them in this game for it to, to run destroy. Into. It'll eventually self-destruct. Ah, okay. I don't oh, think and I've here's a fun it. fact for you, and I've never seen this mentioned anywhere, either in normal conversation or in any Junior Pac-Man references. Only the four outer energizers are vulnerable to the bonus prize. It passes right over the two inner ones. There's one other interesting aspect to the prizes that bounce through the maze. Now... We all know the scoring of the dots in Pac-Man, Ms. Pac-Man. 10 points for a dot, 50 points for a power pellet, and then obviously, yes. you know, whatever bonus you get for eating the ghosts. All of that's the same in this game. The difference is that every time the prize hits a regular dot, it becomes a big dot and is worth 50 points. But there's a trade-off. It slows you down when you eat it. Well, all the dots slow you down, but the big ones slow you down even more dangerously slow. If you're being chased by a ghost and you have a choice of eating regular dots or the big dots, do not take the big dots because you will surely die. Guaranteed. I believe those are all of the major changes. Uh, now, they're not fruits in this game, which is kind of weird. All, everything that Junior Pac-Man eats in this is not anything edible with the exception of one item. The first prize is a tricycle. Yes, you eat a tricycle. As an aside here, old editions of the Guinness Book of World Records actually did have a world record in there for eating a bicycle. Uh, oh, yeah, that's true. Yes, it's true. Look that and up. And this shouldn't be any surprise, considering that in the original Pac-Man, some of the prizes included a key, a bell, and a Galaxian flagship. That's true. But unlike Pac-Man, at least most of the items in that were actually edible things. In this, there's only one. The first one is a tricycle. Yeah. The second is a kite. Third is a drum. Fourth is a balloon. Fifth is a train. Yes, you eat a train. Just the locomotive, really. Well, yeah, still, but uh, try eating one of those. I have. It's not fun. I had to go to the dentist. Uh, let me think here. This is the, we're on the sixth the prize is a cat. I have a feeling it's a plushy. You know, it's like one of the one of the the, the toys, like you get. Oh, like not a, not a actual, not a real cat. Okay. But the last prize is a beer. Is it a beer or is it a root beer? I would hope it's a I root beer. I always referred to it as root beer. I would it, think it's a root thought. beer. It does look like a root beer, and I hope it's not a beer because Junior Pac-Man is certainly not twenty-one, and he can't be drinking at that age. What is his blood alcohol level? Well, the Pac-Land scene is not in the United States, though. So it might be a different culture, a different drinking age. That's true. We don't know what the drinking age in Pac-Land is. Exactly. So it could be like Germany when you're encouraged to drink from birth. Exactly. Ooh. Hmm. Note to self, travel to Germany. Oh, wait a minute. I'm almost 50. So I guess it doesn't matter in my case. Darn it. How come I never find out about these things in time? At any rate, so wow, I can't believe I'm going to be turning 50 in a couple of years. 
<laughs> I just got chills. Um, so that are that are that are. Now you really tell I'm old. Uh, that that is the basic rundown of Junior Pac-Man. Graphically speaking, there's not much difference between Junior Pac-Man and uh, Ms. Pac-Man, other than the font. Uh, the font they use has a lower case that it uses. The intermissions are different, and uh, the intermissions, uh, because the maze is so large, you see them a little sooner. You see the first intermission after the first screen, where Pac- Junior Pac-Man meets Yum Yum, which is supposedly Blinky's daughter from, uh, from what I've seen. Yum Yum, which is a cute name for a ghost, actually, I think. And the rest of it is they are just trying to find time to play together, and they eventually fall in love. It might be a friendship heart, too. I don't know. The, uh, I have to say, though, the intermissions in this game are much better than uh, the first two games in the PAC series. Pac yeah, Man they and actually Pac- tell a story. They, well, they kind of told us uh, kind of, well... Ms. Pac-Man was more of a story. Uh, there's the uh, the uh, I, I don't remember if we mentioned it. We probably did about how there's the uh, the the fan theory that Ms. Pac-Man is actually a play and it kind or a movie or something, and it kind of reflects itself in how they show Act One with the the movie clapboard in the Ms. Pac-Man. It doesn't do that in this one. This is more set up like a children's storybook, and it really the intermissions on this one do have a children's storybook feel to it. Uh, actually, if you've uh, seen them. And uh, there's more graphics in the intermissions in this one than there ever were in Pac-Man and Ms. Pac-Man. And um, they're cute. You know what? They're, they're, just, they're just cute intermissions in this one. And I kind of like, I kind of dug the change of pace from the uh, intermissions from the first couple games. And um, yes, I have to admit, I did cheat to see them all. So, you know, sue me. But because uh, I suck at this game. <laughs> this is easily the hardest game in the Pac family. I, oh, easily. Going right on record, which is probably one of the reasons why it never really sold that well, and you don't see it in too many arcades. I have played it in the arcade a couple of times, but most of my experience with it has been with the very good uh, Atari 2600 version. Oh, yes. And um, as long as we're talking about it, I, there were prototypes found, I believe, for the 8-bit computers, the Atari 5200. I think just the 5200, and somebody hacked it to work on the 8-bits. There's a lot of that going around because the only difference between the Atari 8-bit computers and the 5200, uh, other than keyboard, was uh, the controller and the memory. The 5200, I believe, had more stock memory than the 8-bit computers did. Was it the other way around? No, I think the 5200 did have more stock memory in it. But it also had the sucky controllers. (gasps) And one thing about the Atari 5200 and the the, uh, Atari 8-bit computers is you could have the same game on both systems, but they would be programmed by different people, and so they were not the same game. Uh, I think the best, one of the best uh, representations of that is the game Kicks, QIX. On the Atari 5200 version, it controls well, given the uh, the bad controller, but the sounds are right on, and the uh, the play field... The thing with Kicks is you're, you have to capture portion of the play field, and uh, then it changes color. And it does it, you know, quick, like the arcade on the 5200 version, but kicks on the Atari 8-bit computers. It takes forever and a day. But people have hacked versions of the games from the 5200 to work on the 8-bit, and some of the better 8-bit version of games were hacked to work on the 5200. So if there's an alternate version for the other system, it's almost always better. That's kind of a confusing statement, but you know where I'm going with that. So, yeah, Junior Pac-Man, 
was available for that. I believe it was assigned a part number for the 7800, but never programmed, unfortunately. Although there was a April Fool's joke, which turned into a junior Pac-Man homebrew by Bob D. Crescenzo, which I believe is part of Pac-Man Collection, if I'm not mistaken. No. Oh, it no. is not. Pac-Man Collection only includes like Ms. Pac-Man, Ultra Pac-Man, Pac-Man. Um, Pac-Man Plus. For both Ms. and Pac-Man, there's a plus version. Okay. Um, and a Hangley Man. Hangley Man. Okay. Yeah. But that's it. It doesn't have Super Pac-Man or Junior Pac-Man. It's Junior Pac-Man post-dates Pac-Man collection. Okay, so that's a separate, that's its own thing. It is it is available, though, correct? Oh, yeah. It's, if you can get it through the Atari Age store, I will put a link to that in the show notes, because if you have an Atari 7800, you need this. If you do not have an Atari 7800, you need to get one and then get the 7800 version. You know what we should do is on the uh, on the website is actually put a permanent link to Atari Age and the Atari Age store. Uh, because I, that's a. If you've got any of the classic home systems, the ColecoVision, the Intellivision, the Atari 2600, 5200, 7800, 8-bit computer, they have homebrew software galore for all of those systems. Maybe not so much, you know, the ColecoVision or Intellivision, but they do have homebrew titles for those that are pretty good. They just actually released a bunch of uh, conversions for the Intellivision. Now that I think about it, I think they released five or six. So, uh, you know, that's part of the store's growing. So definitely check them out. And, oh, yeah, thanks to Albert over there. He's a cool guy. Been uh, Oh, yeah. He's been cool to me and Sean over the years. So uh, Yeah, and something else I wanted to mention about the uh, 7800 version. Uh, yeah, it started out as an April Fool's Day joke. But it, what was really cool is that there were a couple of people who figured it out that it was Bob. <laughs> because uh, I think like one of the screenshots that the discoverer posted, somebody figured out that Bob had forgotten to alter the EXIF data on his picture. So it said like copyright 2012 Bob DeCrescent or whatever it was. Oops. And I think in the actual code, if you dumped the code, it had like copyright Bob DeCrescent or something. It had his initials in it somewhere. <laughs> But uh, if if I remember correctly, people were those like people who figured it out kept quiet until it was revealed. And of course, once they admitted that they knew, Bob was like smacking himself in the head. He's like, well, "How can I be so stupid to leave?" That <laughs> oh, and by the way, um, oh, and it includes turbo mode, which oh man, I'm so glad. Uh, anyway. And by the way, um, we're talking about Atari Age. Become a member of the forums there because they have great April Fool's jokes every year. <laughs> the funniest one. Um, going off topic a little here is uh, I believe it was Thomas Gench and some other uh, others. I think CPU was, was in on it. Uh, did a, uh, a mock-up of turbo for the Atari 2600 as an April fool's joke. If he got so far into it, it uh, got so many points. It displayed a message that said April fools. They're trying to get people think that turbo was released on the Atari 2600. A part number existed. Coleco did program it. Atari did. Well, they got so far into programming it, but uh, then it appeared on an Atari part list later when Atari bought up rights to a bunch of old titles from other companies, but it was never released. It was never finished. Not more than a month or two after the April Fool's joke of Turbo on the 2600 did the actual prototype surface. <laughs> <laughs> so that was freaking awesome. And um, so I almost rather have the April Fool's joke one because it looks a little bit better, but the uh, the prototype is pretty good too. And they did fix that up, but uh, just, yeah, join the Atari Age forums and check them out. Uh, I'm Inky over there and Sean is Dauber. And uh, as we keep saying, we do have a thread over there in the Atari Age forums in the gaming publications and websites sub forum. Uh, the Pie Factory podcast thread. You can post stuff there. We read that almost on a daily basis. Oh, yeah. 
So, uh, you know, you can check us there. But uh, continuing with Junior Pac-Man, those are the only consoles in the classic era that it was released for. I don't know if Atari had any plans to release it on the Intellivision or the ColecoVision. Probably not by that point. Probably not. As I think they folded uh, Atari Soft well before then. And this was a later title. Uh, Yeah. I only ever saw it in uh, one of the red boxes, you know, which is the maroon boxes, which was really late in 2600 uh, lifespan. I saw a picture of a silver label version of this uh, when I was doing some searching on that. I think somebody made a custom label for that. I was wondering about that. Yeah, what happened was Atari developed it in 1984, but when the Tremels came in, that's when they discontinued all video game consoles because they wanted to work on computer games. But what happened was the NES came out and revived the home gaming console market. So the Tremels were like, you know what, let's see if we can get some more life back into the 2600. So depending on which source you believe, uh, they put out Junior Pac-Man for the 2600 in either 1986 or 1987. Now, I saw it for the first time in 1987 when I was at the mall and I saw it at KB. I was like, wait, am I seeing that? Mm -hmm. So I asked for that for Christmas and I got it for Christmas. And uh, my parents got me that. My brother got me Crystal Castles and I loved them both and still do. And what's crazy is that if you, you may recall when the 2600 Junior came out, there was a commercial that ran incessantly. The fun is back. Oh, yes, sirree. It's the 2600 from Atari. Yes. Oh, dear gosh. Don't remind me of that commercial. I recently saw it on YouTube, and they actually had Junior Pac-Man in the commercial, and hmm. I never noticed it. Yeah, I, I tried to forget that commercial. I only ever mostly heard the radio version of it, because they were advertising that. And ah. the fu- uh, fun fact about the Atari 2600, they only expected the console to actually have a lifespan of about five years. They expected it to go away in, like, 82 or something. I, I know I'm off on my ears, but I didn't expect it to have right. a real long lifespan, kind of like the consoles of today. Uh, but it lasted. The Atari 2600 had new games made up, being made for it by the manufacturer in three different decades. The 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. Tail end of the 70s, all of the 80s, and very beginning of the 90s. So it's probably, I would say probably, the longest lasting console that's ever been made. Oh, seriously? It, it's seriously. got to be. It's got to be. And it's amazing it lasted that long, given... The, the, given the graphic capabilities of it, because it was not a it was not a powerhouse of graphics or sound by any stretch of the imagination. But if you had enough time, you probably could make it a graphics and sound powerhouse. Well, you can uh, look at the stuff they're doing now over at the Atari exactly. Agent programming forums. We keep yeah. talking about that version of Donkey Kong. Somebody made an arcade quality Zaxxon demo on the twenty six hundred. It's not a game; it's a demo. Yep. But I mean, you can accomplish some fascinating stuff on it now. But. But yeah, I mean, I know I mentioned it before, but in my opinion, this the 2600 Junior Pac-Man, that is the fine, I, I know I know you prefer Tapper, but my personal favorite arcade to 2600 conversion is Junior Pac-Man, mm-hmm. if we're not counting homebrews. It's amazing what they were able to do on that. I mean, the graphics are great, the sound is great, the gameplay is great, it's just as difficult as the arcade game. Yeah. It does have variations in there where you can change the number of ghosts, ghosts which, as they call yeah, them that's in that a, version. Yeah, that's a good variation because... Uh yeah, <laughs> even with uh, even with only two ghosts, it's not an easy. Oh yeah, game. and the thing is, like they were trying to program the intermissions into that as That's well. What I they heard. almost did it, but uh, they couldn't accomplish that. But what they did leave in was the music that accompanied the intermissions. I'll be honest, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I believe that they tried to put the intermissions in there quite simply because the music for the first intermission isn't long enough. Huh? It's missing about half of it. Interesting. 
But I have uh, to play but, that but again. But it's it's a nice way to like kind of pause your game. Like after you clear like every other round, you have an intermission. Right. And if you if you want to bypass it, you can hit the fire button. Right. Yeah, because even Ms. Pac-Man didn't have the intermission music. And of course, we're not going to talk about Pac-Man on the twenty six hundred. Although I, it's you know unfairly maligned in my opinion. And while we're at it, um, there are computer versions of Junior Pac-Man programmed by Thunder Mountain. I believe we met, I believe uh, somebody had mentioned that in a feedback to us several episodes ago that uh, Thunder Mountain made uh, uh, something for the Commodore 64. Thunder Mountain released Junior Pac-Man for the Commodore 64 and two different versions for MS-DOS, one for CGA graphics, mm-hmm. one for EGA graphics. And um, they're all virtually the same game um, in terms of it's it's very difficult to tell them apart. But and something they all have in common, they suck. They absolutely <laughs> suck because what they did was instead of having the uh, panning left and right maze, they actually took out some of the maze and shrunk it down so it fits on the screen. Oh, well, that sucks. And that was the big attraction for Junior Pac-Man. I mean. There were three arcades in my life where I have seen Junior Pac-Man. Aladdin's Castle at Lincoln Mall, mm-hmm. and Underground Retrocade has the turbo version of it, where Junior Pac-Man goes, like, twice as fast. And at uh, Galloping Ghost, there is a Junior Pac-Man there that's in the same machine as a Super Pac-Man. You flip the switch one way to play Junior Pac-Man, mm-hmm. you flip the switch the other way to play Super Pac-Man. It's one of those space-saving things where they have both boards in the same game. And something that I found in common at all three locations, Junior Pac-Man always did get a lot of play. Huh. I remember the first time I saw it at Lincoln Mall, I was like, ooh, this looks fast. And there are other people ooing and eyeing over it because they're like, ooh, look at the maze. Now, answer this for me, because we've talked about how uh, Ms. Pac-Man was more of a belly midway thing and Namco really yes. disowned it until a lot later in the game's uh, career. Uh, what's the situation with that with Junior Pac-Man? I'm not quite clear on that. Yeah, Junior Pac-Man is well. I don't. I don't know if we mentioned this yet, but Junior Pac-Man is another unauthorized sequel programmed by GCC for Bally Midway. Okay, I kind of figured and, as much because it doesn't really deviate a whole heck of a lot from no. the Pac-Man formula. Oh, one thing I've neglected to say: um, we were talking about how the maze is so big that it has to scroll. It only scrolls left and right. It doesn't scroll up and down. Yes. Because I was thinking... The Atari 2600 version goes up and down because it's easier to scroll, scroll up, up and, and down. down. Here. But it doesn't scroll the other direction. In the arcade, it doesn't scroll up and down, which, right. thinking about it, if they were going to do another one in this Pac-Man series, I, in my opinion, there are two different Pac-Man series. There's the Bally Midway, and then, then there's the, the Namco. Uh, yeah. The Namco, even though Namco owns the title. It's kind of like how people think that there's two different Friday the 13th series. They're the ones where Jason was a human and ones where Jason was a, a zombie, basically. But uh, in this one, there's there's two different series. And I'm thinking in the next, in the Bally series, if they were to keep going this way, the next game probably would have had a maze that scrolls in all four directions. And if they did that, it probably would have had some sort of a radar screen. You don't have a radar screen at Junior Pac-Man to show you where no. in the maze that the, the ghosts are located, which would have been very, very helpful. Now, going back to your question about what's the situation, well, the situation is probably that well, right now, Namco does not seem to acknowledge Junior Pac-Man, mm-hmm. and I'm guessing they are not about to anytime soon, because this is the penultimate unauthorized Pac-Man game that Midway came out with, the other one, the, the next one being Professor Pac-Man. Those two games were basically a straw that broke the camel's back, and Namco revoked the distribution rights from Bally and 
so they gave the rights to Atari, which is why Pac-Mania is actually distributed by, by Atari. Atari. Right. And it's not like Atari didn't have uh, a good relationship with Namco because they did uh, the Pole Position games and uh, Dig Dug, uh, Xevious, uh, Rolling Thunder, Assault, Pac-Mania, I already said. I want to think there was a few other games. Yeah. Valley Midway did a lot. They did Galaxy and Galaga. They did Pac-Man. Uh, Mappy. I know there's a few others that I'm not, I'm drawing. A, uh, I think they did Bosconian. Rally X. I believe they did Rally X, too. I believe so, too. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think there were a few others that I can't think of off the top of my head. Well, since we're talking about two different, really, lineages of Pac-Man, there's an easy way to tell which one is which, for the most part. Because Namco, the actual owner of the Pac-Man rights, they wouldn't consider something a sequel unless the gameplay was significantly different. So if you look at only the official Namco releases, you have, of course, Pac-Man, the first one. Then the next thing you have is Super Pac-Man, which is a lot different. It's not a dot maze. It's a food maze with gates in it and super pills. After that, you have Pac-N-Pal, which actually, as far as I'm concerned, is basically a hacked version of Super Super Pac-Man, but it's still distinctively different from uh, the prior incarnations of Pac-Man. And then next you have Pac-Land, which is based on the cartoon. It's a platform game. And then after that, you have Pac-Mania, which is a four-way scrolling maze, but it's kind of a it's, almost 3D it's version, like a and Pac-Man can it's jump. It's like Pac- Pac-Man in a Zaxxon perspective. Exactly. And you can jump over the ghosts. That's a game we have to talk about. That's a f- I like that Oh, yeah. Game. Yeah, um, and uh, the other lineage, I mean, you have Pac-Man followed by Ms. Pac-Man, which is a dot maze, and you eat the... Eat the Energizers. Junior Pac-Man is a dot maze. Eat the Energizers. Exciting new Pac-Man Plus is a is basically. Oh, I just forgot a about that version. one. Yeah, I, I love Pac-Man yeah. Plus. And uh, Baby Pac-Man is the video game portion of that is so terrible that there's no way Namco would have. And this is what shocks me. They actually have Baby Pac-Man at level two fifty seven, which is owned by Namco. I've got to play that again. That was, you know, I don't know if we're gonna ever really talk about Baby Pac-Man. Uh, we might, but the the one thing that really got me in Baby Pac-Man is with all of the Pac-Man games, the uh, the ghosts they're multicolored. They're not just red. They also have they have the eyes which are white and uh, I believe blue for the pupils. In Baby Pac-Man, the ghosts look just like the sprites on the Atari Fifty Two Hundred version, where they didn't have it's terrible. They didn't have any eyes. And there's just no one AI color. in it either. No, I mean, it had a hole for the eye. But it didn't do anything. It was just not. It was just not. I mean, there's good no artificial intelligence. Yeah, it was just not good to look at. It, it was just not no. an appealing game. I, I played it a few times, and I'm like, yeah, this isn't going anywhere. It was. It was not a great game. But you're talking about how Namco didn't consider it a, a sequel unless it was significantly different. And I'm thinking back about the sequels in Namco's catalog, and the official Namco sequels that they created that were a wide departure from the original game were never successful. But they did games which were only slight upgrades. Well, maybe not slight upgrades, but they were upgrades from the original, but were the same formula, the same type of game. For example, everybody knows Galaxian and the sequel Galaga. Galaga was a Namco game. Galaxian was a Namco game. Galaga was Galaxian with some other you know things thrown into it. 
We know Pole Position, which is uh, the Namco racing game, which was released by Atari, and Pole Position 2, which is basically the same game, only with sub, you know upgraded graphics and four tracks to choose from. We know about Pole Position 2. We know about Galaga. We don't know that there was a sequel to Mappy called Mappy Land, or Hopping Mappy. I didn't know that. It was significantly different from Mappy. We know of Dig Dug. How many of us have ever seen a Dig Dug 2 cabinet? There was a I Dig have not. Dug I know it exists, 2. I just never saw it. Those games, Dig Dug 2 and Hopping Mappy slash Mappy Land, were extremely different from the original formula, from the original game that Namco did, and they were not successful. So, I mean, it's kind of weird that they had this problem with Ms. Pac-Man and Junior Pac-Man because they weren't significantly different. I think... It has nothing to do with that. I think it just has to do with the fact that they weren't involved in the creation of the game and they saw that that actually these were good sequels. Could be as well. And it was kind of like, you know, take my ball and go home tied up of child, you know, playground childish stuff, really. And of course, what's the reason that they eventually cons- they eventually acknowledged Ms. Pac-Man? Because it's one of the highest grossing arcade games of all time. Yeah, if not the highest. I would say Galaga gives it uh, gives it a run for its money. It very well could. And, and really, if you really go see, if you see a, a, a Ms. Pac-Man anymore, it's usually a two-in-one with Galaga. Yep. And uh, yep, class of what's it, it's called what class of 1981 reunion something or something like that. Yeah, you don't really see too many other games in cabinets like that other than Namco games. No. Atari did have a prototype that had Missile Command Centipede and one other game, which escapes me for the moment, but that never re- that was never got out of prototype stage. But uh, I could have sworn I saw it listed in arcade.com. Somebody has one. Well, just because it was in prototype stage, it was never out of prototype stage, it doesn't mean they didn't make a cabinet. Just Doc, ask Doc yeah, Mac. Yeah, as I say, Doc <laughs> Mac has quite a few <laughs> prototypes in his arcade that never made it into general distribution, but... It's it's really an interesting story, you know, all the the the, the stuff that going on between Namco, Bally Midway, and Atari. There were some real interesting shenanigans going on between the companies then. But oh yeah, but I can't blame Bally Midway for doing the Ms. Pack Junior Pack man because you know their upgrades to the formula were very successful. Namco's upgrades to the formula were of mixed success. I don't think any of them had the success of a Ms. Pack man, uh, not by a long shot. I can't blame Bailey Midway because they were impatient with Namco not coming out with something and they needed something. They needed, you know, they're a business. They can't wait for their supplier. They got to do something now. And if they have to do it, you know, if a company's got to do something to make money, they're going to do it. So I can't blame Bailey Midway. Well, I do blame them for baby Pac-Man and Professor Pac-Man because they're all they were trying to do is cash in. Yeah, I'll I'll give you that. But the core of the Pac universe, uh uh-huh. Especially because Junior Pac-Man and Baby Pac-Man came within just a couple of months of each other. True, but I was going to say something about Professor Pac-Man, but we'll save that for a later nightmare, Uh, almost literally in this case. Yeah. I think I like that game a little bit more than you do, but that's not saying a whole lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's just amazing to think that Junior Pac-Man is basically a hacked Pac-Man. Yeah. And it really shows just how powerful that machine was when you consider like how big the mazes were, the scrolling, mm-hmm. and the fact that Junior Pac-Man has a spinning propeller on yes, his head. Yes, that is true. That that's is very true. intricate design there. It's not, well, the, the spinning propeller on his head, that's just a part of the animation, you know, because obviously Pac-Man's mouth has to move and all that. Well, yeah, that's true, but... And- 
Correct me if I'm wrong, but don't doesn't that happen in the reserve pack uh, junior Pac-Man's too, or am I? Yeah, uh, you know what? I believe it does. It happens in yeah in the reserve as well, and I don't think Pac-Man in the reserves or even Ms. Pac-Man actually uh, opened their mouths uh, had the full animation when they were in reserves. In fact, now that I think about it, I know they didn't. While you were talking, I looked it up on YouTube, and yes, the reserve junior Pac-Man propellers do rotate. Okay, <laughs> they spin. And you know, I'm thinking about something here. Uh oh. When we were talking about the whole Namco Bally thing and how they had a falling out, I also mentioned earlier in this episode that one of the differences between this and the other Pac-Man games is the font, the the standard machine font actually has a lowercase. And I'm thinking about it, and I don't know if, if this is an upgrade. That would have had to have been part of the character set, I would think, because later Namco games use the same lowercase font. Xenius, when you're entering your initials, or oh, you right. do have a lowercase font to use. In fact, I believe it's also on uh, many of the uh, in-game screens as well. And it's pretty much, the, if not the same font, it's similar. I'd have to look at that again, but I think it's the same font that they use. You know, they, Interesting. But that could just be a coincidence, or Namco could have adopted it. I mean, you know, by that point, Bally Midway is in such trouble with Namco. I'm sure that if Na- uh, Namco stole something from Bally Midway, they'd have no legal ground to stand on. Yeah, right. You know, it'd be kind of like, uh, you know, well, I guess we're at a at a standstill here, whatever, in a legal sense. But uh, so I just thought about that. That was, I think that's interesting. Yeah, good thinking. But then man. again, I think many things are interesting that nobody else does, so... We're talking about the uh, the intermissions. Yes. Now, something that I've seen in more than one, I don't know, reference. I, w- I don't want to say reference, but more than one occasion, I've seen someone mention that the pri- the bonus prizes, I don't want to say fruit because none of them are fruit. No. Uh, but the bonus prizes are based on the intermissions. That is complete malarkey. The only bonus prize that has anything to do with an intermission is the balloon. balloon yeah. That's it. Yeah, because he does. That is yeah. it. So just wanted just wanted to get that out there. So everybody who says else, elsewise, shut up. All right? Just shut up. Shut up with your conspiracy okay. theories. Yeah. And there's a kill screen. Uh-huh. I mean, obviously there has to be a kill screen because there's one in Pac-Man, and this is a hacked version of Pac-Man. But it happens a lot earlier in the game than Pac-Man. Yeah. It happens at the 146th level, which I think is also another, uh, it's one of the different possible kill, uh, kill screens on Ms. Pac-Man as well. Basically, what happens is you get to level 146, there are no maze walls and there are no dots, just you and the ghosts or monsters or whatever. The maze is still big. It'll still scroll, but you won't be able to tell because it's all black. <laughs> and basically, that's it. You, The only way out of it is to be eaten by a monster or a ghost, whatever they call them in this game. kind of reminds me of that one album cover from Spinal Tap, uh, Smell the Glove. Which was just all black. My personal favorite is Shark Sandwich. <laughs> but um, in terms of score, we already talked a little bit about the scoring. Um, just like with all the other Pac-Man maze games, the monsters are worth 200, 400, and 800, and 1600 on a single Energizer. The big dots are worth 50. Big dots are worth 50. Uh, the bonus prizes, the scoring corresponds to the Ms. Pac-Man bonus prizes. The trike is 100 points. The kite is 200 points. The drum is 500 points. Balloon is 700. The locomotive is 1,000. The cat is 2,000. And the root beer is 5,000. Now, just to add a new twist to that, the actual appearance of these prizes follows the Pac-Man pattern and that once you reach the 5,000-point prize, that is the only one you see for the rest of the game. Oh, so it doesn't randomize like Ms. Pac-Man? 
No, it doesn't randomize. You get once you get the root beer, you get the root beer for the rest of the game, which makes scoring a uh, high score uh, make it makes it easier to get a more consistent high score than Ms. Pac-Man. Funny you should mention that because I figured that out. I'll tell my other uh, junior Pac-Man story Uh-oh. here because we like to talk about our memories of these games. When I was browsing Arcade.com, now those of you who hear us mention it, and the few of you who probably don't know what that site is, it's A-U-R-C-A-D-E.com. Ask for it by name. It's got a seldom used message board on it, but what's really cool about that site is there is a database of arcade games and where you can find them, Mm -hmm. and in what condition they are, and it also keeps track of high scores. One day I was browsing and I saw Junior Pac-Man. I saw I saw Junior Pac-Man Turbo listed there. I was already familiar with Ms. Pac-Man Turbo because that that variation is everywhere where Ms. Pac-Man moves at like double speed and the ghosts move at the regular speed. But uh, I wanted to try that. I was like, "Oh man, I got to try that." And Underground Retrocade had it, and I'd never been there before. Mainly because of how far away it seemed Underground Retrocade was. Well, one night when uh, my wife was away for the weekend, I think she was going to her cousin's wedding, I was like, you know what? I got to play Turbo Junior Pac-Man. I got to play Junior Pac-Man Turbo. So I got in the car, drove out to uh, East Dundee, where it was located at the time, and I tried out the Turbo Junior Pac-Man. I was only there for an hour that night, too, but I tried out the Turbo Junior Pac-Man, And just in my first attempt, I was able to get through all seven mazes. In fact, I got to the point at which the monsters no longer change colors. And I saw several of the mazes more than once. And I ended up with a score of about 232,000 or something. And on top of all the arcade games there, they had little cards that told you what the house high score was Mm -hmm. and what the world Mm -hmm. record was. Yes. And I saw that the world record listed on the card was only about 20,000 points shy of that. And I'm thinking, I could probably get that. Because once you hit the root beer level, you get nothing but root beers after that, and that's 5,000 points a pop. Your score goes up really quickly. So I tried again, and I got to something like 292,000-something. And I remember right after that, I went to the car and I called you. I said, dude, I think I just got a world record. Oh, I remember that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you don't remember waking up, so I'm impressed. Yeah. But, and I remember you checked Twin Galaxies. You couldn't even see a listing for it. And I do believe there was a long time that Twin Galaxies refused to acknowledge the existence of a Junior Pac-Man Turbo. Ah. But um, I got home, I took the dog for a walk, and uh, I went online, and I looked at Arcade.com and found that the world record was actually higher than that. It was about 5,000 points higher, and the cards at the arcade hadn't been updated yet. I was like, no! So you just missed the high. I just missed the high. Oh, man. I think it was actually set at Underground Retrocade, too. You're you're closer to uh, doing world records on those machines. uh, and on more machines than I'm close to. So, you know, the, the highest I've ever scored on a game was on Gyrus at Underground Retrocade, 91,400. I'm going to keep remembering. I'm pretty impressed by it. I really am. But uh, I, you know what? I've been thinking about that. I think I'm going to start practicing on Gyrus to try to hit from some higher scores because I've been thinking about this. I think I'm going to try for 150,000 uh, as my next sort of milestone, if you will, on Gyrus. Milestone would have been would be an interesting term if I was trying to get something in pole position, but since I'm not, there you I'm going to use it on gyrus. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to attempt to do 150,000. I mean, I know it's not any sort of a, a record, but I mean, it's, uh, it's going to be good for me. When I first 
started getting back into riding my bicycle, I was only doing two, three, four miles. Little did I know that the next year I would be doing a hundred mile rides on my bicycle. So. Yeah. Jeez, I did eight miles to and from work each way today, and my legs are not happy with me. Well, I, I don't ride in the winter. <laughs> I should, but I don't. Wimp. Although I did ride in February a couple of years ago, but that's just because it just got warm. But I mean, yeah, I hadn't ridden. I haven't been on my bike since Christmas Eve, and I've been having festive holiday snacking and all that yeah, good stuff. I need and, to get uh, back yeah, out. I was not ready. But uh, but anyway, going back to Junior Pac Man, um, because Junior Pac Man is such a difficult game, I just want to go over a few strategies really quickly. Yes, you had said before. Try to avoid eating those big dots as much as you can. Well, you have to eventually, have to. or else you won't clear the screen. Oh, here's something else I for- we forgot to mention. If, if there are bigger 50-point dots in the maze, if you lose a life, those dots disappear. I heard that. I, I never really noticed that, but I have heard that. Yeah. But having said that, on a standard speed junior Pac-Man, you definitely want to get that prize as soon as you can. Now, keeping that in mind... The prize is triggered by eating a hundred dots and or like a combination of a hundred dots and energizers. A good way to judge the first time it comes out is uh, like on the first maze, especially is watch your score. If you avoid the energizers, then right around the time you get a thousand points, that's when the tricycle appears Uh right above the ghost monsters pen. Mm -hmm. So position yourself thusly. The next prize, there are four prizes for every level, and they come out every time you eat a combination of 100 dots or energizers. So basically, every 100 dots or energizers, right up to the 400th, you get a you get a bonus prize that pops out. That's good to know. Something that a lot of folks uh, have said, especially on Atari Age, I think, for this is mainly for uh, the 2600 version, but they said especially the arcade version as well, do not worry about chasing the monsters. Just worry about clearing the maze, especially after the first maze. Yeah, and I was re- I was reading um, an old uh, strategy book way, way back when. I think it might have been uh, one of Ken Houston's books about Pac-Man. And uh, the number one strategies he has said for getting far in the game is, remember, the object of the game is to not eat one more ghost. The object of the game is to eat all the dots yeah. to clear the maze and move on to the next one. Unless you're doing patterns... Which I don't know if you can in Junior Pac-Man. I, I imagine it. you probably can't. But unless you were doing pa- patterns in Pac-Man, if you chase that one last ghost, you risk a chance of losing a life. So remember, the object of the game is to clear the screen. Yeah, absolutely. And, and not only that, but when you clear the dots, you want usually want to do them in groups, like clear like all around an entire island, and then move on to another portion yeah. of the maze. Oh, gosh, because as I was saying earlier, there's no tunnel to warp you from one side to another. So if you accidentally forget, like, a dot somewhere in the maze, you know, with with Pac-Man, Ms. Pac-Man, I mean, you could see the whole screen, you could see the dot, you could get over there, but you could have cleared everything off the screen, but you're not advancing to the next screen. Like, what the hell happened? You have to go back throughout the maze to find the one dot you may have missed, and that is a pain in the ass. Oh, yes, it is. I've had that happen to me a couple times. Yeah, and and yeah, going back to about how you probably can't do patterns, I'm pretty sure that's true, because you can't do patterns on Ms. Pac-Man either. You can do pattern-like moves, but that's pretty much it. There's a guy I mentioned a couple of times before, Fred Oaks. I believe you actually met him at Galloping Ghost uh, when we went for your birthday. Uh, Possibly. He, can, he actually knows where every monster is going to be. 
He's like, okay, now what happens is Tim is going to try to put himself over here. And it's like, oh, man, how do you keep track of all this stuff? <laughs> but it's like, wow. Um, and, and also, and this is true for pretty much all of the standard dot eater versions of Pac-Man, is if you move in a zigzag pattern, it's easier to get away from monsters that are tailing you. Like go down, right, That's down, true. right, down, right, down, right. One thing with, with Junior Pac-Man is it does have different mazes like you know, Ms. Pac-Man did. As I mentioned in Rally X earlier, there was like an area in the first maze that just has one place to get in and out. Uh, and if you get caught in there, you're basically dead. Oh. Um, Junior Pac-Man does have mazes that have areas like the that. The seventh maze. Be very careful of that because that will kill you yeah. in this game. Even Ms. Pac-Man didn't have areas with one place to go in and well, out the third maze in ms pac-man that little t that little up inverted t on the bottom that was where you get trapped but you still had another way out of you there. you had another way out but it was pretty much a one-way street it's like right you basically ms pac-man you clear that thing the first thing ever there are areas like that well worse than that in junior pac-man they're just oh, yeah. like that area in rally x like i would say was just one one spot to get in and then you have to get out the same spot Watch out for that. That will kill you. The seventh maze in which the root, that's the maze where the root beer makes its first appearance. Mm -hmm. In the four corners, you will get trapped very likely. Mm -hmm. Fred Oaks, once again. In fact, the night I met him, I, I, I didn't know who he was, but I looked at him. And during one of the intermissions, I looked up on the high scorecard and I saw his picture. I was like, wait a minute, that's you. But <laughs> I flagged him down. I was like, Fred, come here. How the hell do you get past this level? <laughs> He's like, oh, okay, yeah, here's what you do. It's really hard to explain on an audio podcast, but I did blog it on my pack maniacs blog i'll put a link to that in the show notes but there is a way to handle that so that you don't get trapped anyway anywho might as well talk about the high scores we um, might as well now, at this point yeah sure the why not standard speed junior pac-man factory default three lives bonus of ten thousand points um according to arcade.com greg zumbrook performed at MAGFest, Music and Gaming Festival 8, in Alexandria, Virginia, January 2nd, 2010. He scored 206,770. I'm impressed as hell with that score, because this is a freaking hard game. Then you got people like Abdenur Ashman, according to Twin Galaxies, verified December 5th, 2005, 3,330,950. Wow. Yeah, and... The, there's no way he didn't get a kill screen there. That's crazy. How did he do? That's like almost the maximum you get at Pac-Man. Yeah. With, in 256 mazes. As for the turbo variety, again, Junior Pac-Man goes twice as fast. Uh, the monsters are still at the regular speed. According to Orcade.com, Sam Miller has the record performed March 9th, 2013 during Battle of the Arcades 2 over at uh, Richie Knuckles. He scored a million fifty-three thousand four hundred and eighty. Now, my high score on Turbo Junior Pac-Man is five hundred and forty-one thousand eight hundred and eighty. What about regular? I have no idea. I've never recorded my regular score, but on the Turbo variety, my score is only a few thousand points higher than Fred Oaks's score. That Fred I mentioned before. Wow. Uh, he was just at Underground Retrocade, and as far as I know, he didn't take down my score. I was certain that he would. Uh-huh. I, I, I even told him, I was like, look, dude, I know as soon as you get to Underground Retrocade again, you're going to beat the crap out of me on that game. <laughs> now, remember, 541,880. That's my score. Twin Galaxies has the world record of Junior Pac-Man Turbo given to Patrick Scott Patterson, verified June 25th, 2010. 
446,040. Whoa. That's the turbo variety. I beat a Twin Galaxies world record. Wow. If only I had video of that. Man. Oh, man. I'll have to check with Scott, see if he had, like, security camera footage or something. (laughs) Or you just have to do it again. I probably could. I don't have much in the way of memories of Junior Pac-Man in the arcade. I know I've played it, but it's just not one of those games that that like struck me as to where you know I first played it. I want to think it was... I don't think it was at a local arcade uh, in the Joliet area, but I know I've played it in the arcade in the classic era. Oh, yeah, me too. I, I, I don't remember much about it. I mean, it just... By that time, I was kind of tired of the Pac-Man formula. I mean, I did like Super Pac-Man, and I played Pac-Mania once in a while, but... I I think everybody was kind of getting tired of the Pac-Man formula by that time. I wasn't. Any new Pac-Man game, I was like, yeah, let me add it, let me (laughs) add it. And um, I I do remember the first time I ever played Junior Pac-Man was the first time I saw it at Lincoln Mall at uh, Aladdin's Castle. I Uh actually cleared the screen my first time. I was shocked I was able to do it. I was like, holy crap, how did I do that? Well, I will say this. uh, I was playing it in the last week or so, and... uh, my high score is 21,300. It's kind of pathetic. <laughs> I'm better at shoot 'em up games. <laughs> there you go. Oh, uh, because I love Xevious and I love Gyrus. So those are those those are my two games right there. Although I like Joust too, but I'm not great at Joust. But yeah, that's that's it with me. So I think it's time we. And I figured, uh, and this was my request to do a Junior Pack. Well, any Pac-Man game because we did get a request from a listener to cover more Pac-Man games. Figured, what better way to start off the uh, the year with you know one of the classic video game franchises. So yes, and that's welcome. why we covered Rally X. Exactly. But then I'm like, you know what? Let's throw in Junior Pac-Man as well. So Yeah, so now we have to cover new Rally X at some point. Yeah. Remember everything we said about Rally X? We'll add this, this, and this. Okay, show's over. See you next week. Goodbye. So so with that, I think we should probably rate the game. What say ye? Yeah, let's rate the so, game. So that's my catchphrase is what say ye. So uh, I think I ripped it off from the title of a, a book I saw in the library. It was... Uh, a Catholic apologetics is called what say ye. So <laughs> I've been saying it ever since I like that phrase. So what say ye, as far as your rating, how many continues? I'm going to give it four. Continues. Four. Okay. Mainly because, because, you know, it, it is a graphically attractive game when you compare it to the other Pac-Man series. Um, it is a little bit more snazzy looking than Ms. Pac-Man. It's a unique twist in that you have a huge maze and you have to, the screen actually has to pan left and right. And you've said before that it is a natural progression in the Pac Man yeah. lineage. And also, I also took into, into account its popularity because I actually did see a lot of people playing this at Aladdin's Castle back in the Ferg. When I go to Underground Retrocade, it is a little bit difficult to be able to play it because a lot of people want to play it especially because of the turbo variety, you can actually make some progress on it. <laughs> and something I noticed, um, I mentioned before how at Galloping Ghost, uh, Doc has a Junior Pac-Man and a Super Pac-Man in the same machine, mm-hmm. mainly because he doesn't have room for both right. separately. The only times I ever saw it flip to Super Pac-Man was when I specifically flipped it over to huh. play Super Pac-Man. Minutes later, I go back and someone flipped it over to Junior Pac-Man and was playing it. So there's definitely some level of popularity with it. That's kind of all that contributes to my uh, rating of four continues. Well, you know what? I'm going to rate it a three because, as I said, I was kind of tired of the whole Pac-Man thing by that point. Sure. And to be perfectly honest, I have more experience with the Atari 2600 version than I do the arcade. And it's just a harder game. And I was never really horribly good 
at um, the Pac-Man games. I was good. At, I was okay at Pac-Man Plus, and I was okay at Pac-Mania, but never really good at many of, of the other Pac-Man games. And I was just kind of really tired out by the formula at that point. So I mean, that you know, for that, I'm gonna just I'm gonna give it a free three. It's just really not my thing. I do like some of the Pac-Man games, and I do like some of the maze type games, but for the most part, as I said before, I'm more of a shooter type gamer. You know, not a hard fast rule because you know I like Crystal Castles. And I like, uh, you know, uh, I guess you could consider Frogger a maze-type game, just with the elements of the maze moving. But the whole Pac-Man thing, yeah, I, I have to give it a three. I gotta, I gotta be true to myself, you know. And that's all I have to say about that. Theme. Theme. Maze games that have a panning-slash-scrolling maze. Now, you could do, say... Games that were Namco released by Bally Midway, but Junior Pac-Man was pretty much all Bally Midway, just with, you know, stolen, stealing yeah. the Pac-Man There's name. no Namco with so, that. So that's pretty much the theme for this week. And uh, what are we going to be talking about the next time around? I don't remember. Well, we had talked about this before we recorded today. And we got... Sp- I can't remember waking hey, up. Hey, no, that's my life. And that was today. Uh, I think we decided that we're going to talk about Berserk and elevator action. And I know we're going to have a lot to say about Berserk. Oh, yeah. Classic, total, another total classic, which we will use that sound drop. Oh, and by the it way... It doesn't one, have to be good to be a classic. One thing I've noticed, we didn't say anything about Robotron, so we had no use for the This Week in Robotron. Oh, gosh, here comes the This Week in Robotron theme. No, I ruined no, it. we can't. We're, just a mention of it isn't enough. We actually have to talk oh, about whew, it. Good. So yes, we didn't have a this week in Robotron this week. So so much for our clip show. <laughs> yeah. So once again, from uh, you know the far reaches of the Chicago land area, this is Jimmy G. And from the uh, not far at all reaches of the Chicago land area, because first of all, Chicago land area is redundant. Second of all. I'm actually in Chicago. You can't get much more Chicago land area than that. And uh, I guess I'm uh, Sean, the other guy. And with that, we will see you in two weeks. Put it on the board. Yes. Even though that's something White Sox announcer says, and I'm not a fan of White Sox. So there you go. Bye-bye. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is the Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Adenda and Arata was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via the Facebook page, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or the show notes page on PieFactoryPodcast.com. Oh, wait a minute. No, we haven't talked about the games yet, have we? What games? The games. Uh, excuse me. Ooh, there's it. How do you play that game? I had Wendy's chili for uh, lunch today. Is that going to count? I don't, know. I don't remember how to play that game. My memory is kind of fizzy. Right? I mean, fuzzy right now. Whoa! I see what you did there. I want to think Dig Dug did that. Dig Dug huh. did. Dig 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 dig, dig 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 dig. We didn't talk about Dig Dug yet, have we? Oh man, I missed up. A, speaking of which, I I passed up a great opportunity at NARC Developer Day at uh, Galloping Ghost. Yes. Um, our friend Duke was the first person who played the new level of NARC, and Doc Mac was standing there, like, talking him through it. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, I, I should have walked up to him and said, oh, Duke, Doc, how you doing? And if only uh, uh, I can get those two next to a Dig Dug machine. Duke, Doc, Dig Dug. <laughs> In my last but, podcast, uh, what my co-host uh, was Lech Zorn, and we spoke at the uh, State of Illinois Libertarian Party convention, who the state Libertarian Party was run by Lex Green. And when we were speaking, I said, 
Lek meet Lex. Lex, Lek. Lek, Lex. <laughs> Confuse the hell out of everyone. Ah. Gosh, I love doing that. Yes, you eat a train. Just the locomotive, really. Well, yeah, still, but uh, try eating one of those. I have. It's not fun. I had to go to the dentist. Um, <laughs> you can wash it down with some sweet corn soda. Oh, by the way, I still have that bottle of ranch <laughs> soda here. I haven't even tried it yet, and I'm very scared to. <laughs> video. We need video. Yeah, I, I'll I'll let you know. Improv class, don't fail me now. Maybe we need to play a couple of rounds of Big Booty. Big Booty? Ah, a true improv student would know what that means. I don't know what that means. I only took one class because I won it for free. Or Left Hand Larry, my personal favorite. 